Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com. I'm your host, Martin Bushby, and joining me, as usual, are Benno and Jamesy. And, uh, lads, thanks for holding the fort down last time. A cracking episode with Will Cooling. Some, some really interesting discussions about um, UK wrestling and where it's headed. But, I mean, more important than that, Benno, I've been waiting with bated breath to hear all about uh, your favourite movie franchise, Hobbs and Shaw. Did you manage to... Uh, watch it yet oh no you're gonna be very disappointed i'm not going until this weekend i've uh i thought you'd be there I'm, opening night i mean i never oh, like, uh, you, you, had, you had a big <laughs> that weekend but i thought you'd be there <laughs> opening night <laughs> look my g1's got a lot to answer for um no i've got to do it right martin I, I tend whenever i'm gonna go see a new fast and furious film I, it's like a, a ritual i've got to watch all of the other films before i do <laughs> including the mini movie before too fast too furious which is <laughs> the cheapest self-produced paul walker just driving around a car in Miami thing you've ever seen. There's like another mini movie between four and, f- no, three and four as well. I've got to go all, all the way through before I do it. I'm currently up to uh, Furious 6, which is kind of where we take a bit of a downswing. Fast 5 is by far the best, if you're not counting Tokyo Drift. But I'll get through 7 and 8 uh, the next couple of nights, and then, yeah, this weekend I'll be there uh, to see if I do get justice for Han. Was it, is 5 the one with the, uh, with the, Safe being driven around the town and missioning. Yes. And they just drag it around the streets with no care about any pedestrians or just <laughs> cops just keep dying. You just have to assume they're all, they all must be crooked cops. All those cops that are driving off the edge of the bridge and getting smashed by a big safe. Yeah, it's the, it's when The Rock comes in. It's the peak of the franchise for me. Hey, though, um, I mean, if you're watching all those films in a row, I don't know if you listened to Review Raw this past week, but uh, John Pollock revealed he regularly watches movie on two times speed. I mean, it's, it, that to me <laughs> seems like one of the oddest things I've ever heard, but perhaps it could work for you when you're marathoning through these films, Benno. Yeah, did you not hear that, James? Yeah, but apparently, I mean, Way and John's wife think it's oh weird. God. John seems to think it's perfectly normal. I mean, I've heard people... Listen to podcasts two times. Podcasts, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, I, I, I tried doing it with podcasts before, and I find it too. It's just really weird to me to hear people mm. talking at, at twice the speed, especially <laughs> if it's somebody who speaks fast anyway. So yeah. I, I, I just, I just listen to my podcast at normal speed and just let, I just let the backlog build up and build up and build up and and just live with it really. Yeah. See, for me, I do listen. Well, I, I do do it, but I only go like 1.2 speed, sometimes 1.5. Like, yeah. I, I do do it listening because I get through such, so much of John and Way's stuff. I listen to them on say 1.2 speed. And then that time I was on the Google Hangout and I was talking to them and it just sounded like they were both speaking in slow motion because I'm so used <laughs> to hearing them in my ears on, in podcast form. Um, but no, I can't say I do it for movies. I definitely do it for podcasts. You know, I, I'm not admitting anything, but there's, you know, certain four hour, Scottish-based uh, shows that I, I might have watched uh, from the rest of the way to be a one-way but I try not to make a habit out of it. It's funny you mentioned that because I think, uh, was it Summer Sizzler last year where we all met up in the Dundee Arms and a uh, friend of the show, Ben Owens, was there and he, he turned around to me and he said, oh, you all sound like you're talking in slow motion because obviously me and you were there, JP, Joe Lemon. And I was like, oh, what do you mean? He was like, well, let me see you know you guys on podcasts at like 1.5, you know, uh, high speed dubbing. <laughs> I was like, all oh, right, makes sense now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to keep that in mind. Speak slowly, lads, for the, for the likes of Ben. <laughs> I mean, before we get into the main portion of the show, uh, something that I want to bring up with you, James, here, fans in attendance at Trinity Ball in Ireland got to see an appearance from Jack Gleeson, obviously, 
most famous for uh, playing Joffrey on Game of Thrones. I mean, I wanted to ask you about this. It sort of came out of nowhere for me. I've not heard of the show or the promotion before. First time hearing about this. I mean, what's the deal with this uh, Trinity brawl over there in Ireland? Yeah, it's. It, it, I wouldn't even class it as a promotion. Um, it's. It's. This is the second time they they did a show this time last year called Trinity Brawl. Um, it, it's run by two, I suppose, lesser known Irish wrestlers called Alexander Dean and Jay Money, who's kind of who's recently made his debut in OTT. Um, and last year they they ran a show in. It, it's in Trinity College, and they used the, the theatre that the that the Drama Society of Trinity College use. Um, I think Jay Money is a a drama student in Trinity or maybe has recently graduated. So they got access to this theater, um, put a wrestling ring in it. Um, it was a bring your own beer show. You can pay whatever you like for the ticket. Um, and last year's show, again, I, I didn't go last year or this year, but last year's show was a roaring success. I mean, everybody who went had a great time. Um, so it rolled around again this year and, and everybody kind of bought the tickets in short order um i was at home just scrolling on twitter kind of curiously wondering what was going on in this show and next thing it popped up on my feed that jack leeson um was a surprise i got my good friend emma g of the journey to gorilla island podcast to give me a, a proper account of it today so i could kind of give, give you guys the inside scoop on it and basically um the show was the j money show and the whole idea of the show was kind of a, a very arty kind of high concept show where um, the show started and he was knocked unconscious. And then he has an out of body. Now, this is completely off the wall, guys. But and this is I, I'm trusting that that my source has given me accurate information here. But apparently he has an out of body experience um, where his subconscious, which is played by Jack Gleason, leads him on a mission to regain his wrestling ability. And to do this, he has to get three keys, charisma, strength and wrestling ability. <laughs> and each each match on the card is represented by one of these abilities. And he kind of he put people in the matches to win these keys for him. And the show ends up with him. He gets the three keys. Um, he defeats Justy in, in the main event of the, of the show. Justy was the guy who who rendered him unconscious initially. Um, and when he wakes up, he's informed by Jack Leeson that he's actually been asleep for five months and that it is, in fact, Christmas. And then a load of Christmas music played in the middle of summer and everybody went home happy. <laughs> I've been told it's like a version of Tuesday Night Graps on acid. That was yeah, the best description similar, I was yeah. the whole thing. But uh, apparently the link is that Jack Leeson would have also studied drama in Trinity College a few years ago. And he and Jay Money would have met each other through that. So he, he kind of did him a favor, I suppose, by, by he must have been home for, 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 for the summer or something like that and did him a favor by showing up on the show. But um, I, I give them great credit for kind of thinking outside the box. Uh, and definitely anyone who's there would say it was it was a night to remember. Yeah, that sounds absolutely fantastic as a one-off show. Do these things ever hit yeah. sort of like video on demand? I can't imagine it's as good as being there live, but it'd certainly be something I'd be interested in checking out. Yeah, yeah, I think definitely, I think you had to be there, and I think you probably had to be indulging in the bring your own beer as well to kind of really, really get yourself <laughs> into the swing of things. Yeah, so it sounds like a, a show that's sort of like a tackered do over here in the UK, but something like 10 times what they do, sort of like the press start shows that they do where everyone's a video game character or when they sort of like go into some other universe where everyone's playing um, version, different versions of themselves or something. So yeah, definitely sounds like an interesting show, but uh, m moving away from that one and uh, two of the biggest promotions in Europe headed over to the home of post-wrestling Toronto the other week over... SummerSlam weekend, as uh, 
There's the City Saw Progress Hold two shows there, and also German Promotion WXW hold a pair of shows there as well. Uh, all four events were held at the Midtown Event Theatre in Toronto, and uh, Jamesy, from watching all four shows, um, I was trying to judge the capacity of the venue, and I'm never quite good at these sorts of things. So um, how many how many would you say um, this venue uh, holds for these Progress and WXW shows? Oh God! It's like, I, it, as you said, it's it's very hard to tell. Um, like the, the way the hard camera was, they kind of had it on the stage, which was always full. Um, you're talking a few hundred, I suppose. Are you like? I I, I definitely think the progress show was far better attended. I, I think maybe. Oh, like I'm, I'm guessing here, but maybe 300 at the Progress show, and maybe half of that at the WXW shows. Now that's that's me making very vague guesses, but it, it definitely the the Progress show was better attended, and I think had a more vocal crowd, a kind of a crowd that seemed to know Progress better than people knew WXW. Maybe from, from what I could see on 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 demand, video on demand. Yeah, it certainly seemed that way to me, uh, Benno. I mean, I don't know if you're a good judge of like crowds uh venues but yeah they certainly seem to be more into progress than wxw didn't they the canadian audience yeah it kind of goes to what we pretty much always say that when you speak to a canadian or you speak to an american and you talk about british wrestling or, or european wrestling then pretty much it's progress that, that they talk about uh, and that's what they, that's kind of i don't know something about the branding of progress that, that travels better and the, the overall package of it um, that kind of works for people better. It looked, it did look for me like the the, the proper progress show was the was the busiest. Uh, I'm pretty sure I saw that the WXW show. I think it was in the Observer that that, that show did about uh, well, just under over 200, and I think the Smash versus Progress show did about the same. Um, and the actual Progress show was something in the 400 range. So kind of shows you yeah, that that maybe that the timing of the shows as well, but yeah, the difference in branding and that yeah, Progress is maybe more of a, a brand that, that travels internationally than, uh, than WXW does. So let's jump into the first progress show. Uh, first event was on the 7th of August, uh, a joint show with local Canadian promotion Smash. Uh, I mean, add to all my hands up and confess I'd barely heard of a lot of the Smash roster on this show. I mean, I knew some of them had appeared for progress in the UK before and I'd seen their names mentioned previously, but first time seeing them wrestle here and the concept of the whole show was progress v smash with wins being counted up throughout the show. Um, and, and for me on VOD, I felt that at two hours the show flew by and made an easy watch compared with some indie shows you see these days that go in excess of three hours up to four hours. So I was quite pleasantly surprised to see it was uh, quite short. Uh, the opener of Psycho Mike against Trent Seven was missing from progress on demand. Uh, not quite sure why, mm. because... Trent Seven lost that match, uh, you know. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah. Did you hear about you that one? Appar- any ideas? I, I definitely heard live reports that like Psycho Mike was doing like a comedy thing where he was working the hard cam as a joke to try and get signed by WWE, and he's making loads of like references to you know <laughs> he's beat he's beat Trent now, so he's going to get signed by by WWE, and apparently it was quite awkward when uh when Smallman got back on the mic afterwards. I don't know if that's got <laughs> something to do with it that he was doing so much of that stuff, um, but a bit weird. It kind of. The, the, the drama of the night was supposed to be the you know the versus thing and we yeah we jumped in in match two didn't we with with yeah. one match already down yeah i thought like uh the pivot show jumped ahead or something but now it kind of <laughs> just started with uh all the competitors in the ring for the tag match but uh glenn joseph was on commentary on here uh, with the smash commentator i don't know if either of you guys caught his name i didn't no no he was quite good though i quite enjoyed him across the two shows 
Yeah, yeah, he's pretty decent. So, um, but yeah, sadly, uh, hopefully someone can uh, send his name in to us. But uh, I mean, even though the show went by quickly, there wasn't too much to write home about. Nothing overly offensive to me, but nothing to set the world alight. Uh, best match on the show, I thought, was Jordan Devlin against Tarek. Uh, both both guys really over with the crowd. It was super fast paced, as you expect with a, a Devlin match. Some. Great strikes from uh, Tarek. Uh, Devlin, yeah, a backstabber on Tarek that seemed to really hurt his back. And I don't know if they were just playing into that, but it seemed to be the same case on the Progress show the night after. And uh, Tarek picked up uh, the win on that one. And the main event of this one was uh, an eight-man tag in uh, pitting Daniel Garcia, Halal Beefcake, and John Greed against Team Progress, Chris Brooks, David Starr, Paul Robinson, and Travis Banks. Uh, very much a, a Fight Club pro special here as all the guys got their shit in, especially mm-hmm. the huge John Greed who was hitting suicide dives and a massive five-ton frog splash from the, from the top rope for the win. I mean, the most interesting thing about this match probably the storyline that they had going on. Lots of tension in team progress between Paul Robinson and David Starr following uh, Robinson's promo, you know, calling out Starr for his independent movement. And... And then also, I suppose another notable match from this show was uh, one of the most mediocre, mediocre Walter matches uh, you'll probably see all year as he took on Smash champion Kevin Bennett. I mean, for me, I, I think the match never really got going. Bennett has got his character down. The crowd really seemed mm. to hate him, this Toronto crowd. But in ring, he just seemed really unsure about a lot of it, and it felt really awkward, which really brought the match down for me. I don't know if what you, uh, you thought about this one, Bennett. Yeah, I think it was mainly awful because it was, you know, it's the Progress Champ versus the Smash Champ, and they're both heels, so it was kind of a weird dynamic because Bennett, like you say, got the loud heel reaction that I'm sure he gets uh, every time out in Smash, but he kind of had to fight from underneath against Walter, who is also a heel in Progress and in WWE UK, so he kind of became the face, and it kind of, yeah, the structure of the match was a bit odd because of that. Um, just because a lot of the bumping was coming coming from the heel, uh, I thought. I mean, I thought Bennett looked okay. Definitely, you know, a, a notch below Walter. He was kind of presented a notch below Walter as well. I mean, obviously, Smash got some some big wins on the show going forward, but I did think it was notable that the finish kind of came out of nowhere. It's like Walter hit a, a shotgun dropkick and a power bomb, and then he he just pinned him. And you know, considering the yeah Bennett is their is their champ, I thought that was a that was a little bit odd. But yeah, I thought it was a fine ten minute match. Um, but yeah, you know, as far as you know, memorable matches from Walter this year, it, it definitely wasn't one. It was more akin to maybe some of the TV uh, show matches we've seen Walter have on uh, NXT UK. Like I feel I'm the high man on this card, and uh, I pointed out some of the main talking points. There. Obviously, I felt like it was an easy watch. But uh, James, you managed to watch a couple off uh, off this show. I mean, what were your general thoughts of the matches you watched from uh, Smash Re Progress? Yeah, uh, like you, Martin, I, I would say that the Devlin Tarek match was definitely the best one. Um, I, I was pretty impressed with Tarek. Um, my first time seeing him for sure and looks like a guy who, who's, who has a great look. Um, hung with Jordan, you know, I mean, Jordan's at a certain level now where, um, you kind of wonder, can, can some guys hang with him? But like uh, Tarek had no problem hanging with him in this. Um, like you said, Martin, the, the, the little thing with the back was a bit of an unsure one. What was it? Like they, they, they were playing up on commentary about Jordan not wearing knee pads. And it, oh it seemed like a, it seemed like a funny thing to focus on. And they did it in both shows and kept on yeah. and on and on about the flexibility that would grant him. And I reckon he probably just forgot his knee pads or something yeah. like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Glenn kept going on about his lucky socks. 
So it's, yeah, it's like when you play football socks. and you forget you love your socks. Like what? <laughs> he was going on about having the same pair of socks for three months, play for six months or something, playing rugby or something like that. It was like, <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, like I, I, I did think Tarek was good, and I think that it was good to have the Smash commentator on here because he was able to give the history of Tarek and their promotion and talk about how he he had won the title and and had had a, a one year reign as champion, and it made him feel quite important. You know what I mean? And rather than just watching Jordan Devlin against a guy we don't know, we kind of got to see him against somebody who had a bit of history to him you know what i mean and yeah the main event was 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 fine i think more more of a thing to advance the progress storyline more than anything um thought the the, the tag team that were in the, on the smash team were, were quite fun halal beefcake i thought daniel garcia looked quite good on that team as well uh but yeah like a decent indie show um that yeah as you said martin like nice easy watch under two hours and you know, I, I probably of the four shows that we watched, maybe the weakest, but um, still worth your while. As I said, you'll get through it in under under two hours if you skip entrances and that kind of thing. So worth a look for sure. Mm. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. I think it it looked like a fun show to be at live. You know, if you're a, a Canadian fan, you don't get to see a lot of these. You know, the progress guys very often, obviously worthwhile endeavor. But I'm never going to get mad yet at a, at a show go in two hours. I think that's always that's always a good thing, uh, and it always makes it an easier watch. Like kind of what you said um, there, Martin. Um, I'm pretty sure that I was just looking up the commentator. Is his name Stu the announcer? I'm sure I found, I've just found him on Twitter. So hopefully his name's Stu, if we're going to give him credit, because I thought he was great. I thought the uh, the presentation of the show was was good, even though if there were a couple of weird sound issues throughout the weekend, really, I kind of know. I don't know if it was just my speakers, but the sync was a, a little bit off at times, and then the music just sounded a bit badly mixed and a bad, bit muted, but Again, I would say it was a, a, an easy watch all in all because uh, I think if you're going to get a show that's going to give me a match, like you both said, Devlin and Tarek, which was a really, really solid Devlin match. Um, like you both said, Tarek looked good. Lots of selling from Devlin. So, you know, that, that's always good. One of his uh, underrated uh, aspects of, of what he can do is good. Straight, same as you guys, again, surprised at the finish that maybe Devlin um, losing to a Tarek. But again, it all kind of added up in the end. And I love that about the night that the, it kind of, it meant something with the, each of the matches. Obviously we went, you know, tied three apiece, uh, once you come to the main event or, you know, sometimes the most predictable things are the best things to do. And it made that multi-person scramble mean something as well, which I really did enjoy. I kind of, I think I just enjoyed like laying out on a plate who kind of the, the top focus guys are in progress now. If you take uh, Walter out of it and maybe Devlin out of it, that, that progress side, the four men on the progress team kind of are, you know, Chris Brooks, David Starr, Paul Robertson, travel up to Travis Banks. They're kind of that upper main event, upper card main events type scene now, aren't they? And it was, it was a lot of fun seeing David Starr uh, having a bit of a interplay with, with Paul Robertson and build that feud, you know, doing a couple of blind tags and jumping in the match and, you know, kind of just the interplay in general between the, the four men on that side. I thought that was that was a lot of fun. You know, getting to see uh, Chris Brooks and Travis Banks bring back their some of their CCK double teams. I kind of enjoyed as well. Um, so yeah, it was one of those matches. It maybe went a little bit long, um, but I thought it was a lot of fun as far as a uh, big scrambles go. Uh, and it was nice for uh, for Chris Brooks to lay down a letter. Let's smash get the uh, decisive win on the on their home turf. The right way to finish it. And yeah, all in all, kind of finished it at two hours. That was uh, an easy watch, if nothing else. And uh, the next night, so Progress go out on their own and present um, a, a much better card, uh, in, in my opinion. The show opened with two men who were very familiar with each other, not only in Progress, but NXT UK also, uh, John Devlin and Travis Banks. Uh, 
their matches on NXT UK have certainly not hit the peaks we know both are capable of, but I felt uh, this one was a, a lot better outing for these two, uh, Jamesy. I thought it's probably one of the best matches these two have had. Um, I think they said on commentary it's the uh, seventh time they've, they faced off with each other. Yeah, and when I saw them announce the card, I kind of said to myself, God, like it feels like every show I watch these two are wrestling on it, whether it's a progress show or, or NXT UK. Um, but like it felt like here they took the NXT UK shackles off, if anything. Um, they do have great chemistry, you know, and like that mightn't always be, could be apparent on, on the WWE network. But here, like they, they, I think they, they really played up the familiarity they have with each other really well, you know, like um, they were countering each other's trademark moves all the time, like at one stage. Stage. Travis was ready for the kind of standing moonsault that Jordan does and um, just really good, fast paced, hard hitting match. Um, I, I think the, the thing I would take away from it more than anything is actually how over Jordan is, you know, like to, mm. to the best of my knowledge, I, I, I don't think Jordan's ever wrestled in, in Canada. I think he's he's barely wrestled in the, in the US. I know he was due to have a US tour there Um maybe 18 months ago and he ran into visa issues so he never got to make it over so for a guy who's limited who's had made limited appearances in North America like they knew who he was they knew all his chants um, and he just really feels like a big star at the moment you know that's got to be the OTT effect surely hasn't it you know these matches he's been having with Walter and you know the, the you know the, the showing of the free matches um, on, on mm, YouTube from OTT yeah. that's got to be that effect doesn't it Bennett yeah, definitely. I think that's it. I think it's the that YouTube match being free and being out there has kind of got his name out there. It's probably not NXT UK getting his name out there, but you know, <laughs> no. maybe, maybe it's part no. of it. <laughs> but no, I think this kind of it was a good kind of almost damning of NXT UK because I feel like I've seen these two wrestle so much now that it doesn't mean as much. But you kind of forget, you know, these two are kind of the leaders of the the work rate division in progress, and they've got such great chemistry and they've got such a great you know when they're in there together it's like everything's flawless every you know reversal every every spot you know jumping back and forth from you know deblin grabbing the, the wrist control and turning it into a, a backdrop driver and you know the stuff on the ropes they were doing reversing each other's moves like they've got so much chemistry that's genuinely two of the world's best they should probably be having these matches as a feature program somewhere important, shouldn't they? Somewhere <laughs> we're, we're talking about it as like the, the great main event feud. Imagine if this was the great main event feud of uh, progress this year instead of a match that kind of got killed off by being done too much in NXT UK and in the, in the progress mid card. Uh, cause yeah, for me, this was probably, probably, uh, as far as the Toronto matches up there with as match of the weekend with maybe the, the XW main event being the only exception. I mean, just before we jump into the main event, um, Jordan Grace was on both these shows, reminding everyone that she's the uh, Progress Women's Champion. But um, even though that, I thought um, she easily showed again why she's one of the best uh, women's wrestlers in the world. I mean, I don't want to go too much into the matches, but great power moves and a long-standing jackhammer. I thought um, it's a shame we don't see her on more Progress shows, I think, Jamesy. Oh, she's amazing, yeah. Like, And it's... It's, it's like the women's title situation is in a kind of a weird place at the moment, you know, like they, they have put the title on a world class performer. I mean, you know, if I was to make a list of best wrestlers in the world, I could easily see an argument for putting Jordan in the top three or the top five. Um, but like it's, it's like they've, they have this great wrestler as their champion, but they, they haven't really made much of it. You know what I mean? Like, I can't think of a memorable match she's really had as the progress champion. I know on the next, um, on the next ballroom show, there, there's a kind of a mini tournament involving her. Um, and it feels like 
they're kind of doing that almost because they feel the need to establish her more for the for the UK audience because they haven't done that yet. Um, I presume we're building towards a Jordan Grace Mako Sadabora match um, at Ali Pali. That that seems to be the most logical thing that you would do, which will be a great match, you know. But it just feels like they decided to put the title on somebody really, really good and really, really deserving, but then didn't have a plan for her afterwards, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, they didn't seem to be doing a great deal with the women's division. I suppose that was the, you know, an easy person to put the belt on, but then they never had the dates on there, did they? So, yeah, even though she was coming over here and appearing for Eve and and promotions like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, like you say, it looks like she's appearing for the promotion uh, more after the summer. But um, moving on to the main event of this uh, Progress Toronto show now, and Walter and Paul Robinson for their Progress Championship, and... Robinson seems super fired up for this one. Um, easy story here to tell in this match. Walter towering over Robbo, even getting on his knees at the start of the match, you know, to um, <laughs> make, make a joke of him. Um, exactly the kind of match I expected from these two. Robinson doing his best to chop down the big Austrian, Walter powering back and being too much for him. I, mean, I, did, I did see some people wondering if Robinson was going to win the belt here, maybe... Uh, I never really saw that as the outcome here, Benno. I always saw Walter coming away with mm. the championship here. Yeah, I'm never buying that. Paul Robinson beating the, the NXT UK champion, especially, no offence to, uh, to, to Canada, but being a show in Canada and not a, you know, a, a proper, you know, chapter back home. It'd be very surprising if they did it, but maybe that goes to, you know, much more, even if I didn't <laughs> love all the content of Paul Robinson's uh, anti-union promo, you could probably call it, that he cut against David Starr in that last progress chapter. He's clearly got, you know, something behind him right now, a bit of momentum. So maybe that explains it a little bit. And yeah, I enjoyed the match. I think that, again, I do think it might have got, while Paul Robinson got a good response, he probably would have got an even better response, you know, in the ballroom if this had maybe happened in the UK. Uh, but yeah, I thought the work in the match was great. Like you said, at the star, Martin, Walter going to his knees like a child, treating Robinson like a child and almost, <laughs> almost being taller than him still, uh, was great, you know, catching <laughs> yeah, him on was, yeah. Robinson doing dives and Robinson and getting caught again like a child by Walter and just getting chucked around. You don't get to see Paul Robinson sell as a sympathetic babyface very often anymore. And I thought, I thought he was great. And yeah, you know, the, the Toronto crowd did know him and he got some pops when he came back with his, with his big flying and his comebacks. And he did kind of get stopped uh, dead end at the end, uh, but kind of by, by again, a bit of that Walter Power one that seems to be coming out of nowhere. So I might have given him a little bit more than they gave him here. Um, it was a, I think I did see David Starr making fun of Paul Robinson on Twitter for, for kind of talking all that shit and then getting beaten in 10 minutes by Walter. Um, but still, it was a good match and you could, you maybe you could do it again uh, on home soil as well. Um, a lot better than the uh, the Walter match from the night before we talked about earlier, at least. Is this uh, a match you'd like to see uh, revisited um, in the UK, Jamesy? I guess so, yeah. Like, I mean, for what it was, I enjoyed it. Um, like, yeah, most of what I was going to say, Benno has kind of covered. Like, he, 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 Robinson seemed fired up, like, you know, to be in a progress main event again. And, um, like, I really like Paul Robinson anyway. Like, he, he's actually making his OTT debut, uh, over here in, in September. And, like, I, I can't wait to see Paul Robinson live. It's, it's one of those things, like, I've been watching progress for mm-hmm. years and, the aura comes across on VOD. You 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 get a sense of, of the menacing aura that this guy has. You know what I mean? And uh, just you know the, the way he, the way he walks out. You know it. it 
you know, straight into it with the crowd the minute he comes out from behind the curtain. So he's a guy I can't wait to see in person. I'd imagine that the experience is even more amplified when you see him in person. And yeah, I thought it was a good match. I, I, I thought it kind of struck a nice balance between keeping Robinson credible. You know, he had his hope spots. He was definitely over with the crowd. Uh, but at the same time, it gave Walter a decisive win, which he probably needs going into Ali Pali. You know, you don't want sure. to see him struggling with a guy kind of half his size, I don't think, at this point. Um, so, yeah, very worthwhile match. Uh, a unique match, you know, like you don't see Walter wrestle guys that small very often. And like sometimes it's nice to have that kind of disparity and uh, just just the sight of of them facing each other in the ring. Like, you know what I mean? It's such a unique thing. So, yeah, a good match. I, I think a, a good idea to put a match like this on a Canada show where they get something new and unique. But at the same time you're not throwing away a big moment on, on, on a foreign crowd i suppose you know any other highlights from this uh progress Toronto show for you Benno? i know you were uh, you you liked the was it the three-way tag match yeah it was a lot of fun i thought you know we didn't uh, really talk about aussie open on the on the uh versus smash show the night before as well but i thought they had a they had a really fun little weekend uh aussie open they're always always a fun live act, and it was kind of fun to see that the Smash crowd kind of losing their minds and that tag with Brent Banks and uh, Tyson Dukes on the first night, and then hearing like this multi-person tag, which I kind of thought was notable, just because you kind of had you had a you can you had an AEW team in the Dark Order, you had a kind of non-WWE but Progress team in the Aussies, and then you had Pepper Parks of TNA fam and <laughs> Andy Williams of Every Time I Die fame. Just a weird makeup of a, of a three-way match. Um, not a huge amount notable to say about it. It's just a fun kind of throwaway tag where I did think with the double teams, the Aussies were a million miles ahead uh, of everyone else in the match. I was a Super Smash Brothers fan back in the day. Not a big fan of this uh, this Dark Order stuff, uh, but that's a matter for a, for another podcast. But there was a lot of fun in there, you know. Just getting to, again Andy Williams of uh, you know in his second life here, who looks like he did uh, a blood sport. He? he looks every bit of wrestler, doesn't he? He's massive. He's got the great mustache. He's just built. He looks like just like a dad, like a host dad. Him and Mark Davis in there, you know. <laughs> beating the shit out of each other was was a lot of fun. So, yeah, I enjoyed that, and I got a bit of enjoyment out of uh, Trent Seven and Eddie Kingston having their... They had, like, a brawl at the merch stand, uh, causing the whole kind of uh, unit around there to have to move their T-shirts uh, so they could uh, get their fight in, and then they had kind of what I would probably call, like, an, an anti-Kings road match, where it was... It's a bit like, you know, uh, I, I love both of these wrestlers, but... No, this is a real. I mean, if strong style is just hitting each other really hard and doing big moves, that's what this was. But I mean, there's probably a bit more to it. Like, there is a bit more to it than that. But it was still fun for what it was. Just yeah, lots of lots of trench shopping Kingston and Kings coming up back with big moves and eventually fall into that big power driver off the second again. Maybe went a bit long, but it was a lot of fun. And I would definitely be down with a. I re- I've got a real soft spot for Eddie Kingston, so if we do get to see more of him progress, then I'm, I'm made up for that. This is another match that I think would really get over on a on a UK show. He seems to be having a second life, Benno, in progress, doesn't he? He's been booked on mm. the progress shows this year. Yeah, I talked I talk to him at the Manchester Progress Show. Uh, my mate Matty talked to him as well. We both talked to him about the uh, the TNA uh, run that he did, where they I think they did like a backstage segment, didn't they? Where they ran over some kid in a car, and he was made up that that that, that we'd even seen it. Uh, and then we knew what it was and that we've been watching his incredible mic work in, in Impact. And he's gone on record this year and he said that to, to me in person as well, that if he doesn't get a big contract, he's going to be retiring at the end of the year. But let's hope, yeah, this this mini progress run gives him a bit of life. And, you know, someone picks up, you know, apart from the uh, the random child killings he did on TNA, someone catches some of the <laughs> excellent mic work he was doing there and maybe gives him a shot. Because, yeah, I'd love to see more of him over here. 
Well, um, I mean, staying with that, uh, Progress have been making a lot of uh, announcements recently. They've got a number of shows coming up, making their first trip to France, doing a show in conjunction with APC on the 24th of August. And then the following night, they're hosting Chapter 94 at their usual home with the Electric Ballroom in Camden. And on that show, you've got Chris Brooks against Eddie Kingston, uh, South Pacific Power Trip against the Anti-Fun Police. Lucky Kid v. Paul Robinson, Aussie Open against Yes They Are Still Going, Do Not Resuscitate, Spike Tremaine, <laughs> William Weaver, Candy Foss against Sikara, and then uh, Jordan Grace against Danny Luna, and Danny Luna someone who's been getting um, a, lot of, a lot of hype lately, um, yet to see her, her wrestle yet, so he'll be, he'll be checking out that show. But um, decent show here from Progress, James, nothing that really sort of like really jumps out at you there. Yeah, it's, I suppose it's it's a decent show on paper. Um, I, I was just looking at Cage Match, and and to my surprise, the next show after that is is the big one at Ali Pali, and it, it feels like they have a ton of work to do on that Electric Ballroom show to set some matches up. You know, um, like at the moment, the only thing that's on the slate for that show is the the Star Walter match, which is at no build. I mean, we, you know, we, we had both Star and Walter on the same progress show here and they never even interacted. Like, we, we, you know, we, we're going to talk about the WXW show in a minute. Like the, the WXW show closed with, with Star kind of beating up Walter and running him out of the ring. And yet progress are the company that actually have a match between the two in a month's time. <laughs> it, 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 I was baffled by that, you know, like that there was nothing happened on, on the Toronto show to really build towards that big show. You know, we, we've like we've talked about that mini tournament they're going to have to build up to make Osadamora. Fair enough. They're going to have a bit of build to that match. Um, they're having a Royal Rumble. Which is, which you don't have to build in a way. It's almost taking an easy way out. It's kind of saying, okay, if we're not going to build matches, put everybody in a rumble. People will have good uh, crap. For the Proteus title. Yeah, exactly. So that doesn't require any build up. Um, and then I think, I think that the match you mentioned on on the electric ballroom show between Aussie Open and Do Not Resuscitate, I think that's a number one contenders match. Which to me seems very bizarre. Like, what have Do Not Resuscitate done to even deserve to be number one contenders? You know, so it's all a bit like time is running out for this big show, and nothing has been built. And you have the the Keith Lee and Riddle match against Mustache Mountain, which again is a nice match on paper, but it has no heat behind it. It has no reason to happen. There's no build up to it. It's just a match that's going to happen that will probably be fun. But there's nothing to dig your teeth. Now, if you're wanting storylines or you're wanting a match, a reason to care about that match, there's very little reason to care, you know. So that's like, I, I couldn't believe there's only one more ballroom show before the big show. You know, it's crazy. Well, I mean, you mentioned it there, Jamesy, that uh, Keith Lee and Matt Riddle against Mustache Mountain match for the uh, for the Alexander Palace show on 15th September. And Benno, that's sort of like... Uh, Came out of nowhere, it seems like, you know, trying to throw a band-aid, they've got this big venue to fill, and it's like, oh, mm. shit, let's get some uh, big NXT guys to come and uh, do a show with us. Yeah, let's be glad it's not Wembley, eh? Uh, yeah, because, yeah. you know, they're going to struggle to fill like, Alexander Palace. Never mind. I mean, they're struggling to fill the ballroom. They haven't, still haven't sold out for Sunday's show. Again, uh, definitely, definitely signs of the times to progress in that. I'm sure they'll still come close and they're still healthy, but quite a marked difference from a year ago. And yeah, I've seen people get excited about this Keith Lee, Matt Riddle and Mustache Mountain match. You know, fair play to you if you, if you're really excited to see Tyler Bate come back after his teethful goodbye, what, six months ago? If you're really excited for Matt Riddle to come back after he came back at Wembley last year, and does anyone talk about that match? It was just his a last ever a match. It was his first le- last ever independent oh, yeah. date. 
Last September, yeah, uh, wasn't really a, a hugely notable thing. And then, yeah, Keith Lee was just knocking around the performance center with nothing better to do because they don't do anything with a man as talented as he is on, on NXT proper. Let's hope with, with two hours, he does get a proper push. But yeah, it just doesn't really excite me. It's the type of, like I, I made the joke about it on Twitter. It's the type of match that would have been halfway through on a Manchester show two years ago. I mean, I saw a very similar match to this on a Manchester show that you would just swap out Keith Lee for David Starr. The same match happened. And does anybody talk about that as a seminal moment in progress? Uh, it's just an odd one. And, you cap it off with Trent Seven, who's got his one foot in, one foot out of WWE in progress. And yeah, you know, if you're excited to, fair dues. Uh, if maybe for whatever reason you didn't get to see these guys live when they were, you know, the likes of Keith Lee and Matt Riddle when they were over here plenty of times the last couple of years, then, then cool. Um, but yeah, it's a, like you said, a band aid is probably the best way of putting it. Really, it just shows, I think, a, a little bit of a hint of desperation and it just shows, you know, what even is progress at this point? If it, this is this is evolved type stuff, really, just throwing throwing yeah. unused NXT guys on on progress shows now, rather than actually build something organic with a with a story that might you know, God forbid, sell some tickets. Yeah, it will be interesting to see where they go after that Alexander Palace show. I mean, I mean, certainly Jamesy, we're not going to have uh, David Starr beating Walter. I wouldn't have thought. Um, I suppose that. There's a chance, but, but, but I feel like it's highly unlikely. Um, I, I still suspect that going into, um, that super strong style 16 weekend that, that they didn't plan start to win anyway. And I think just, I think they called an audible on it. I think maybe Jordan was going to win it or, or someone else was going to win it. But based on how over star was in the building, I think, I think they changed their plans on the last night and had star win instead because everything that's happened with that feud since then screams to me like, a a feud that they never planned. I mean, nothing has happened between the two of them since there mm-hmm. has been no interaction. There has been, they haven't, they did one video and it's probably the most insipid David Starr video I've seen in, in, in the last few years where he, he, he vaguely talked about the match and about he's going to choose Ali Pali as the time to, to, to go for the title. But like there has been no build to this match. And like, this is the most no brainer match. <laughs> that you could have, you know what I mean? It's a story that tells itself and they're not even bothering to tell it. You know what I mean? So mm. I think like uh, putting the politics aside, nothing screams star winning to me. And then you add in the fact that I don't think they're going to have Walter lose a pinfall to somebody while he's the NXT UK champion. I certainly don't think they're going to let David Starr do it after all the messing they had around with him stamping on belts and that kind of thing and how gotten to they were over that, you know. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I can't see Starr winning it, to be honest. And, and I think maybe when, when Walter does finally lose to Starr, it probably will still happen in WXW. Mm, last, yeah. bit, last bit on that, Benno. I mean, do you, do you think Walter's going to hold the belt for the rest of the year? Uh, I don't know. I don't want to be Will Cooling and predict Walter's demise uh, every time we're <laughs> here, but <laughs> that's usually yeah, actually you know, <laughs> That's it. Well, but then, yeah, I think it, it, I think he wanted Mark Davis uh, originally, but that that never happened. But you know, he could do David Starr. It could make sense, but it would take a, a very anti. Well, he'd say he's not anti WWE, but you know, the very independent David Starr to go over the NXT UK champion. I just can't see it and. Yeah, it just kind of goes to, 
I'm not. I'm just not interested in this match as much as I am in WXW because they've done, like you said, uh, they're Jamesy. They've done the hard work and told the story. I mean, why bother telling a story yourself when you can rely on other promotions to do it for you? Uh, I know OTT piggybacked that a little bit, but they added their own layers with the Devlin stuff and and made it all, yeah. you know, mean something and, and gave you know gave an extra element to the story. This is just a match progress is booked and. I think it's 99% certain that, that Walter goes over, um, just based on the reasons we've all just said. But, I mean, maybe there's a percent chance with, you know, Progress and WXW both seemingly being under the WWE umbrella. Maybe, you know, they'd, they'd be willing to let this happen in Progress and then Walter can still say David Starr's never beat him in WXW. But, yeah, for the political reasons and just for it'd be a really odd story for, for David Starr to come out here. He was, you know, if you believe reports and, you know, I've heard from a, from a couple of people close to it, that, you know, it was never the plan for David Starr to, to win super strong style. That was always Jordan Devlin's tournament until they, they heard the big reaction for David Starr and pulled him in a room and, and changed the booking on the fly the day before, uh, you know, it, David Starr being progress champion isn't something they planned out. So, I'd find it unlikely that they'd go that route, but then again, yeah, you know, unless you're a, unless you're our mate Will and you can come up with any other suggestions, I can't see who else Walter could be be losing to um, anytime soon. Maybe yeah, Devlin. Yeah, definitely, I could definitely see Walter holding the belt um, until the end of the year. But um, moving away from progress, because obviously they weren't the only affiliated promotion to head over to kind of SummerSlam weekend. Uh, WXW had two shows, Ambition Eleven on the 8th of August, and then WXW Toronto the following night. Uh, the second night was headlined by a huge rematch between Daisuke Sakamoto against Walter. Um, I mean, well, not as good as their famous 16 carat uh, 2012 outing for me. Obviously, I don't watch as much WXW as you two guys, but I've certainly seen seen that match. Uh, I thought this match was everything you want from a match between these two. Big chops, huge power moves, and just two lads battering the shit out of each other at Benno. Yeah, that's what it was. It was it was two tanks, um, and I kind of I like that. You know, even if you know mentioned there, you know, maybe not following you know WXW closely, but you had the the great Alan Farrell who's on a a show later this weekend with uh, with Jamesy um, on this very feed. His commentary telling the story of it as well kind of gave you an extra element to it too, and telling the story of uh, of the two of them and their and their previous matches. Um, yeah, and I've seen them kind of come to a head in in tags, you know, over Mania weekend and even into BXW earlier this year. But yeah, getting to see them out there in a singles match was awesome. There was a lot of hard chops that maybe sadly didn't translate to the over to the VOD with some of the sound issues we mentioned earlier across these shows this weekend. But yeah, there were lots of nice touches like Walter, you know, just smashing uh, second motor with that power bomb. He's beating every Everybody with now, but Sekimoto is just that bit stronger that he can that he can kick out of it. You know, Walter going for that big frog splash near fall spot that I don't love him doing, but it kind of makes sense in a match like this where he's desperate and he's trying to put the big man out. And crucially, you know, compared to that NXT takeover match he did with Don, you know, he's not really new to this audience, so you can get away with him flying a bit more. And yeah, I just love the two of them just kind of throwing each other around. The power of Sekimoto was just... I think there was a spot where he, he tried to power up on Walter, which was impressive enough on its own, but Walter kind of did the reversal where he, he floated over Sekimoto's head and Sekimoto man, managed to keep him upstanding right the way through that spot. It was like watching two big cruisers in there just in that that minimal moment. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a it was a lot of fun. You know, the, the near full stretch maybe didn't go as long as I might have hoped, you know, but he, he tried to do the... The Walter getting the choke and Daisuke fighting back and, you know, 
similar to Jordan's Evelyn, kind of then getting caught with the big boost and the fire from the driver it being over, maybe without that huge crowd investment that the, the Devlin match had. People were into Daisuke here, but you know, not to those levels. Maybe that, that spot didn't work quite as well. Um, but it was still, you know, a nice moment and a, a nice way to end the match. That was, you know, if it isn't, uh, that Jordan Devlin Travis Bank match was was probably my favourite uh, match of this this mini Toronto uh, indie weekend. And James, I mean, we'll be tired you if you're filming this match on your mobile phone. But anyway, um, I mean, what, did, what were your thoughts on on this match? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're a huge fan of these two guys. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I would have seen some of, not all, but some of their matches in the past. Um, like it's fair to say second moto is on the, the decline at this stage. You know, like, like that guy has an awful lot of miles on the clock and has been in some seriously hard hitting matches over the years. Like, and even, even when we were at, um, 16 karat gold there earlier in the year, just watching him walk around the arena between matches like that, that that's <laughs> a guy who's, who's, who's really feeling it at this stage of his career, you know, but, but, but I'm in playing ball with us as well james that's right playing bowling with us and like he, he he's he's a man that, that 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 i feel like he probably lives a lot of his life in an awful lot of pain you know what i mean after everything he's put him through himself through over the years but like still when the bell rings he's he's still like he's still able to go like he was coming off the top rope here several times um it was exactly what you want from these guys you know what i mean nothing subtle about it um and like uh, to me the match got really good when it just deteriorated into two of them just throwing bombs you know mm-hmm. and uh, like i i had earmarked that particular spot you talked about um Benno where where Sekimoto like he deadlifted Walter up for that power bomb like that's mm. that's seriously impressive stuff uh, w- one weird moment and it's a thing that Walter seems to do in, in in matches now and I don't quite understand it um, do you remember when Sekimoto had him in the sharpshooter and mm. and Walter's doing the thing where he's trying to get oh, to the ropes and and he definitely taps yeah, he did, and yeah. it's like it's, it's the exact same thing yeah, the, like, the commentary did. Like, it, it clearly tapped his hand. And I don't know if it's something he does on purpose when he's working heel, maybe, to try and get more heat on him or something like that. Because if you remember back to the, the David Starr match in OTT, yeah. they did exactly the same thing as well to try and, like, it was at that point Starr believed he'd won the match because he thought Walter had tapped, you know. So I don't know if it's just a little, little kind of a, a storytelling device that Walter uses, like, but it's not the first time he's done it. And, and it kind of, I don't know if it added to the match to me or did it take away, it took away from the match more than anything because it kind of, it was kind of scratching my head for a minute thinking, what's going on here? You know, did, did he tap or didn't he tap? And then they just went straight back into it. Like it wasn't as if Sekimoto kind of appealed to the referee about it or it, it became a thing in the match that was part of the match. They just kind of went back to wrestling after it. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just a small little thing I spotted, but, but yeah, like two, two big hosses hitting each other very hard and hitting big moves on each other and, you know, does exactly what it says on the tin for me and an immensely satisfying match to watch, I think. And uh, elsewhere on the show, we had Bobby Guns facing up against Mike Bailey. Um, Bailey, who does make appearances in Europe, uh, but he'll, he'll come over, be on a bunch of shows and then disappear for a few months before coming back over to the UK. Uh, always forget what a fantastic wrestler he is. No matter, you know, how many people are in the crowd, he always puts on a on a great show and, no different here, I thought. I really enjoyed this between him and Bobby Guns. The usual Bailey offense that never fails to Im- to impress me, but, uh, you know, there was no doubt Guns picking up the winner and retaining uh, the unified wrestling title here, Jamesy. 
Oh, yeah. Um, like, as you said, like, Bailey to me is world class. And, and he feels like a guy who's kind of had a bit of a quieter year this year than last year. Like, he doesn't seem to have been in, in Europe as much. I know he does DDT dates and that kind of thing. But but even then, like, I, I'd be hearing more last year about great matches he had in DDT. It seems like he's just having maybe a slightly more quiet year. But, like, he's as good as ever, you know. Um, and, like, my big takeaway from this match is how much better is Bobby Guns when he's working as a heel? You know, I, I feel it just suits him so much more to be kind of a heel character. I, I think I think they almost had to turn him babyface in WXW when all the chanting started and that kind of thing. Um, and to me, since since he turned, basically, he's been pretty bland. He hasn't had great matches. He hasn't had memorable matches. And I think the character kind of lost its edge a little bit. Um, whereas here, he kind of had that edge back a little bit. Like even before the match started, he's kind of having a go at Bailey and he's giving the crowd the finger at different points. He's taking shortcuts. Um, there were some really good callbacks to their, like the match they had at 16 karat gold in 2018 is one of my favorite matches of last year. Like where, where guns like literally tied Bailey's fingers completely back and did some really, some of the most gruesome handwork and finger work I've maybe ever seen in a wrestling ring. And they did little callbacks to that match again. Like he threatened to do it at times. He went to the back and, and had the tape with him. Um, like on the stage, he bent back. Um, Bailey's finger at one point all the way back with his foot, you know, uh, just, just really interesting. It's something you don't see in any other. It's not like it's something Speedball does in any of his other matches. It's only, it's like he reserves it for guns only. Um, mm. I had a really good match. I, I would say it's guns' best match since Karis 2018, really, you know, and he, that's nearly 18 months at this stage. I, I think these two just have really good chemistry. Um, and yeah, I just, just, it struck me that. It, it was like Guns is going back to what he made him, what made people like those chant, that chanting started initially because people really liked the edgy Bobby Guns character. You know what I mean? So in a way, he's kind of, he's gone away from just being the clean cut baby face mm. and he's back to being what he's good at again now. And like, this is the most I've enjoyed him in a long, long time. Yeah, and he was without the song as well. I think that kind of, yeah. that was my, my biggest takeaway getting to see him come out there now without his theme song. The, the Toronto fans tried, bless them, to get that chant going, yeah. but it, it wasn't overpowered. Yeah. And instead, yeah. yeah, you kind of got a bit of a throwback, like you said, James. It's a, similar to the finger work last time. This time it was kind of leg work, and he did look like he had something to prove. And I thought Bailey looked like he had something to prove as well. But, but like you said, the top Martin, Mike Bailey, every every single time I've seen him live, he's been my favorite wrestler on the show. Yeah. There's something about his execution, not just the kicks, but just in general, you know, like how he hits his shooting star off the second, and those that shooting star knees on the stage you both mentioned as well. He just comes across great. Both in and live and VOD, I'd love to love to see him in more places. Obviously, he's, he was familiar, to, very familiar to the Smash audience, but I'd like to see him, you know, elsewhere as well, especially over here in Europe. But yeah, these two are in a match made in heaven. Uh, they, they did a bit of story with the leg work, but really, it was just a big shootout uh, more than anything with mm-hmm. a bit of character work from Bobby Guns thrown in. So yeah, I really enjoyed it as a match, and yet it was definitely I'd echo what James said back to maybe more the the Bobby Guns that, that I fell in love with, love with when they had their previous match. A carrot last year. And uh, the other highlight of the show, uh, Timothy Thatcher taking on uh, Yuki Ishikawa. Uh, not averse this sort of match, and it always has its place on cards. But Jamesy, the floor is yours. This is uh, right <laughs> up your <screen. laughs> <laughs> you, you guys go off and make a cup of tea, and I'll talk for the next twenty minutes. How about that? <laughs> Stretch my legs. No, like it's it's um it's. It, 
it's a style of match that's not particularly conducive to even discussing in detail on a podcast because it's it's just 15 minutes of gloriously intense hard grappling. And it's the kind of thing, if you like that kind of wrestling, you will love this. If it's not your cup of tea, then there's no harm in skipping it. You know what I mean? Because it is very, it is a very niche style of wrestling and it's a very specific type of wrestling that you're either going to love or hate. You know what I mean? And, um, like, yeah, it, it was, you know, that there was no deep story to the match really. Like, um, like the like, Thatcher went after the arm a few times and eventually won it with a cross arm breaker. Um, Ishikawa for 52 years of age, like he's some man to be able to keep up with the Timothy, like to go 15 minutes of hard wrestling like that against Timothy Thatcher and to do the same again on the ambition show. Like, I mean, he is some man. He's in some, like, he's probably in better shape at 52 years of age than I am 15 years younger than him. <laughs> like, he's a serious man. You know what I mean? And like looking at my match of the year list, his two matches on this show is that carrot this year. I have him very high up on my rest of the year list just based on the every time to, to me, he's had an amazing match and he's like, he's better than most wrestlers in the world as far as I'm concerned. Um, and like, I suppose the one little thing that made this different from the ambition bout that they had before was like, you could pin your up your opponent as well. So they, they were able to, um, throw in a few quick roll-ups as well just to break up the action and that kind of thing but yeah if you're a fan of shoot style wrestling you're going to absolutely adore this match uh my favorite match of of, of all the matches uh, that we watched this weekend unsurprisingly i suppose <laughs> and yeah like it, it is what it is and like if you like these two guys and you like the style then you're going to love yeah. this the james invitational they should have called it uh, yeah i I'd echo all the love you, you had there, Phil James. It's not always my favourite style, but I love the ambition match they had. And like you said, this with the different rules, again, another shout out to Alan Farrell on commentary, who actually the mixing was probably at its worst during this match. It kind of sounded like oh, he was yeah, calling snooker thing, yeah. or he should, it sounded like he should be on Eurosport. Uh, that's very good. It was kind of, it was all Alan Farrell and then just you could kind of focus on the action, whether that was on purpose or not. Or well, the crowd were just really quiet. I don't know, but I thought he was really good explaining like the difference in rules and telling that story of, uh, Ishikawa turning up in Florida with a photo of Carl Gosh and not anything else and, and somehow finding his way to the training school. Uh, just absolutely brilliant. Just showing it to a taxi driver and the taxi driver knowing to take him to the, uh, the Malenko school. <laughs> just brilliant. Um, yeah, I, I love, I love that. I love the backstory and yeah, I kind of loved what it clearly means to Thatcher to be in a match with a, a legend like this and, and to get the win. Um, it was just, yeah, some of its style, uh, as good as you'll see anywhere. So, uh, a very enjoyable show uh, from the four we were talking. I thought this was uh, the, the best show out of all of them. Um, but moving on to the show from the night before, I didn't have a chance to watch it, but um, how was the Ambition 11 show, Jamesy? Like, like pr- pretty much, you could say everything I said about that match, about this show. Like, if you like shoot-style wrestling and you like grappling, then you're, you're just going to enjoy this. You know what I mean? And, like, really easy show to watch. I think the VOD is something like 90 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, all these matches go five, six minutes at the most. Um, I would say if you were to pick out the best matches, I would say definitely... The final was really good. Walter and Timothy Thatcher, like those two guys, if you think back to that progress match they had um, early last year, which was one of my favourite matches last year, this was like a mini version of that match. Just two guys who know each other really well and aren't afraid to hit each other really hard. Again, the, the, the ambition super fight between Ishikawa and Tyson Ducks w- w- was way better than I thought. Like, like I was kind of disappointed when that match was announced that they'd nearly waste an Ishikawa match on a guy like Tyson Ducks, who I've never been particularly interested in or and never found to be a particularly great wrestler. But like here, he, he was brilliant on the mat. He kept up with Ishikawa and it turned into a great match. 
Um, I would say there was two Daniel Maccabi matches on this as well, to my delight. Um, like he had a great match with Bobby Guns, a great match with um, Thatcher, who he's wrestled many times in the past. So yeah, like they're just incredibly enjoyable. If you know, as again, there's no point in going into detail on particular matches with this type of wrestling. It is what it is. And as I said, if you're a fan of the style, you've probably watched it already anyway, you know. Um, this last note on WXW, we seem to have been making some controversial announcements uh, the last couple of days. Genji. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 they basically they, they. Now this, this had already been hinted at in WXW storyline, so like it wasn't news to me when it was announced. But basically, um, they're doing the, the World Tag Team Festival in October, and they had announced the format of the tournament as being a twelve-team tournament, which would culminate in a triple threat final. Now, on the last WXW show, they put the tag team titles on Walter and Ilya Dragunov, which was a bit of a surprise to people because we all knew that the same weekend as Tag Festival, there's NXT tapings and Walter mm-hmm. and Ilya will only be available for night three of the, of the of the Tag Festival. So WXW announced that instead of a triple threat final, it's now going to be a four-way final um, so that, the, you know, the rest of the teams will have to battle to get to the final and then these guys will come in and kind of be added to the match as the tag team champions. And it, it prompted quite the outcry on Twitter and it, it, it felt to me like it, it was maybe the first time that it brought home to a lot of people the damage that that being in with WWE does to a tournament that on their second biggest you know their second biggest weekend of the year they still don't have access to, to the to the two top guys in the company really you know what I mean and it's it's yeah it, you know I, I was a little bit taken aback by the ferocity of the outcry like we had an awful lot of people who hadn't really made their opinions known on WWE before suddenly coming forward and saying how terrible it is like we have been beating this drum, guys, for for an awful long time. And even before I ever came on this podcast, it's a it's a drum I've been beating. Like the minute I heard WWE were involved in WXW, this was the kind of thing that I expected to happen. You know what I mean? So I suppose I was a little bit taken aback, but like I suppose maybe it's it's just it's when it affects a company you love, or maybe it affects a show you've planned to go to that people really get irate. So yeah, as I said, but like, this is what happens, you know, and this is the, this is the downside to having WWE involved. You can't really plan things very much. They can take guys away at the drop of a hat. They don't care if it's the biggest or second biggest weekend of your year. If they need guys for tapings, they're going to take them and that's it. Mm. Yeah, and then when they do it, they'll they'll replace you with you know who do they kids and, uh, and Romo get replaced with? Or is it uh, yeah. Oni Larkin and Oni, um, Danny Martin, Birch? Uh, Danny Birch, Martin Stone, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, they do they they've done great stuff on NXT, but it's not a team I expected to see in the tag league anytime soon. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, People will be listening to us, expecting us to be outraged, James, and you, Martin. But I was kind of a bit more middle of the road on this because I was like, ah, if you can't use Walter and Ilya in the two nights before and you can't use them on the what last night, then what do you do? They're the tag champions. I suppose that's a problem of your own making. So maybe they shouldn't have booked themselves into this corner. But what else are you going to do? Let's throw them in the final. It definitely devalues the final. I don't think people are wrong about that. It definitely tips the hand that I think definitely Walter and Ilya are going to be, are going to be losing the belts. Um, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't fill me with a, with a, with a huge amount of anger. I think just maybe it's more acceptance at this point yeah. that, you know, <laughs> back at, way back at Tag League last year, I remember, you know, hearing the rumblings of, of WWE involvement with WXW and to saying, saying to people involved, you know, you've got, 
you got to look at what happened with Progress. Progress was the cool thing, and WWE is gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna take that. WXW was the cool hot thing in Europe at the end of last year, and you get into bed with WWE, and you do become something different. And you know there is an argument: you either get mowed down by them, or you you play nice with them. You can either be a Rev Pro in the situation and have access to any guys, or you can be WXW now in that. Okay, at least you get Walter and Ilya for a night, and you end up having to to make those kind of trade offs, but. Yeah, it does feel maybe maybe our apathy comes from the fact that we've traveled around this road before uh, with progress. We've seen it happen, and a lot of the worrying signs are, are starting to to creep in with with WXW again with WWE having such a, an impact on on their biggest weekend of the year. Um, I guess we'll see how how the weekend itself goes, but yeah, this is just the uh, the unfortunate effects of uh, of getting in bed with the uh, the Trump fundraising campaign that is World Wrestling Entertainment. <laughs> It is because every time it happens, and it's you know, I'm not sure quite what's happening with OTT, but they seem to have been immune to it so far. But they surely mm. must have some kind of like working relationship with uh, WWE. Not maybe not as you know as much as uh, you like to progress or WXW have. But um, yeah, it's amazing that uh, nothing's really happened with them. But yeah, like you said, Benno, it was you know when this stuff happens, it's kind of like you just shrug your shoulders now and you go, oh, well, it was. It was bound to happen anyway. But uh, moving away from that and on something uh, more positive, G1, um, maybe not so positive that it's over, but hats off to our boys, Zack Sabre Jr. and Will Ospreay, who had hell of a tournament, some cracking matches in there. One of the highlights of the tournament for me was the match they had with each other. Um, but also Osprey continuing his standout year. You know, he had a bit of a big Kiwi bump in the road. But, you know, other than that, he did have some cracking matches in the tournament. And uh, Zack Sabre <laughs> Jr. proving again and again why he's one of the best promos from our shows. And obviously, you guys have talked at length about this on the most recent Grapple podcast. But in a nutshell, I mean, just uh, to round up your final thoughts on the two Brits in, in this year's G1, Benno. Uh Incredible, really. Uh, the, the I think Will's kind of summed it up when he was on our show last time that you know while we all get frustrated with the use of you know Pete Dunn in NXT, let's hope he's on the proper NXT product more going forward. With the disappearance of Trialer Bait and Trend Seven, Zack Sabre Jr. and Will Ospreay are in New Japan and having some of the best matches in the world and getting featured prominently, prominently and pushed properly in the proper promotion. And yeah, they looked. You know, like two of the best wrestlers in the world across the tournament. I think at last count from my favorite 10 matches of the tournament, Osprey was in there, I think five times altogether. I think he was, it was a struggle for me to kind of, you know, on our Grapple Spotlight podcast, name my favorite match of the tournament. It was between Jay White, Kota Ibushi and, and Osprey Tanahashi, but I think Osprey Tanahashi peaks it, peep, just kind of takes it. And I think that's kind of, Shocking, really, considering that match took place at the tail end of the tournament when there was nothing really to fight for. It didn't especially really mean anything. Uh, and it was still, you know, for me, probably, probably the match of the tournament just says everything to the, the work of the two men in it. And maybe just the fact that while there wasn't really much, you know, up for grabs as far as the tournament goes, there was just so much up to grabs with, you know, and a Will Ospreay, you know, the, the goofy, flippy British wrestler who had that 
famous matcher with a uh, with Okada in 2015. Fast forward to 2019, and and here he is, you know, going over uh, an absolutely new Japan legend like Tanahashi, and it and it just feeling right. You know, I was punching the air at the end of that match. It just meant so much. Uh, absolutely loved it, and yeah, kind of said uh, said everything about Osprey's tournament. He killed it with Tanahashi. The Okada matches up there are my favorite matches of the tournament. Yeah, the great match with Kenta in there, like you said, Martin. The Zack Sabre match as well. Uh, yeah, I don't think it quite met the heights of his best of the Super Juniors run, but it's probably a slightly more banged up Will Ospreay, so I, I can forgive it. But you know, putting a grapple head on, I think uh, we had some stats on the on the grapple Twitter feed. I think it was Ishii and Osprey who both had the most above four star matches on average, and it was Ishii, Osprey, and Shingo who were pulling up. You know, if you looked at everyone else's average star rating throughout the tournament, they pull you up by I think it was point five for Osprey just by getting in the ring with them in the first place. So that just tells you everything. And yeah, I thought he was absolutely incredible across the tournament. And I thought Zack Sabre Jr. kind of had a, a more understated tournament, but a great tournament himself as well with, with lots of memorable matches from him. Again, him having one of Kenta's best, best matches, him having a great match in there uh, with Kota Ibushi, a great match with Lance Archer, somehow drag something great out of Bad Luck Fale, even if it was a comedy match. Uh, yeah, I think both of them on a worldwide stage, uh, their stock continues to rise. And yeah, I think... Osprey especially is going to be. I think he signed a. He said it's a five-year contract with New Japan. I really am starting to believe the hype that he could be the top guy in New Japan at one point, or at least the top the top gauging. Um, and yeah, Zack Saber Junior might be right there behind him as the one B. So yeah, got to be got to be proud of our lads this summer because they were a, a real highlight of a stacked, incredible tournament. Any thoughts on uh, on more than what Benno's just said there, James? Yeah, like basically to echo everything he said, like, and I mean, it's it, it comes to the point where you run out of superlatives for Will Ospreay, really, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, like you know, how many different ways can we say how good he is? You know what I mean? Uh, like I, I based on my own records and my own star ratings and that I actually had Osprey as the top guy in the tournament and Zack Sabre Jr. right there as the second guy. Like so two British wrestlers as the best mm-hmm. guys in a tournament, in a tournament that contains Tanahashi, Okada. <laughs> Ishii, Shingo, John Moxley, like incredible, like to think the two guys from Britain could, could be right up there at the top ahead of everyone else. You know what I mean? And like, um, like I saw Osprey on Twitter today saying he's going to be in the junior tag league. So you think about the year he's had in New Japan. He was in the New Japan, he was in the New Japan Cup. He was in the G1 Climax. He was invested as Super Juniors. He's going to be in the Super J Cup starting tomorrow, I believe. And he's going to be in the junior tag league. Like he's doing things in New Japan that no wrestler, you think of all the great wrestlers, your Ligers, your Otanis, your, your Tanahashis, your Fujiwaras. None of these guys have ever done all those tournaments in one year. You know what I mean? So he's doing extraordinary things. Um, and I have no doubt, like if that five year contract is, is actually what he signed, there will come the day when he's going to be the first ever British IWGP heavyweight champion. There's no way he won't. Because if if you if you, even if you look at the year he's had, you look at the the big the, the big stages he's been on, and look at the matches he's had. At the Tokyo Dome, he beat Tabushi. At Sumo Hall, he beats Shingo and and wins Best of the Super Juniors. At Budokan Hall, he beats Tanahashi. They know what they have with him, and they're fully behind him. You know, and mm-hmm. people sometimes say, "Well, why is he in the junior division?" He's in the junior division because he's elevating that division as well. You know what I mean? And eventually whatever guy beats Osprey for that junior title is going to be a made man. You know what I mean? So they know what they have. You know what I mean? And I have no doubt he, he'll he be the top guy in that company at some point. 
And uh, staying with New Japan, because they've got two huge uh, shows coming up um, on August 30th and 31st. Um, well, firstly, it was Red Pro have their annual Summer Sizzler event at York Hall. Match announced for that uh, Will Ospreay against David Starr, control of Red Pro, and then the small matter of uh, Okada teaming with Tanahashi to take on Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. And then the night after that, New Japan uh, present Royal Quest at the Copper Box Arena, and they've announced a full show for that. Um, I mean, the the headline matches for this are absolutely mouthwatering. We've got Zack Sabre Jr. taking on Hiroshi Tanahashi, Okada taking on Minoru Suzuki. I'm even really excited about Ishii taking on Kenta. I know some people haven't been that hot on Kenta since he's come back, but I think that'll be a good match between the two. But most interestingly enough, we've just been uh, raving about Osprey making his big homecoming. He's teaming up uh, with Robbie Eagles to take on El Fantasmo and uh, Ishimori. I've no doubt that'll be a good match, but interesting there, Benno, the Osprey's big homecoming after the G1 is going to be in a tag match. What did you make of that announcement? Definitely disappointing because I was expecting, and we we you know we speculated on it a number of times, didn't we? About what's Osprey doing going to be doing on this big show, and none of us guessed he'd be thrown in what looks like it'll be a very good tag, but not in a prominent singles match. I think they're probably saving you know a big singles match with El Fantasmo. I think maybe. The letting Rev Pro have the, the Will Ospreay singles match sign the night before with the David Starr match. I've, I've heard people say, well, maybe when New Japan are giving Ospreay a rest, but based on his schedule for the rest of the year and based <laughs> on the fact that he's, he's facing David Starr the night before, I don't really think that's the case. Uh, I do think it's a bit of a missed opportunity. I think you do, you know, you, they've sold the tickets anyway, but you know, you're moving into the British market, you know, more aggressively than they ever have before. You, Osprey and Zack Sabre Jr. should be right at the top of the card. They've done right by Zack Sabre, but yeah, slightly disappointing Osprey's placement, but I still think it'll be a fun tag match, and you know, in some ways it does open the door for, for him and David Starr as far as big singles matches over the weekend to, to kind of, uh, you know, prop up Rev Pro and give them, you know, something, give them a big match as well as that, uh, that big uh, Tanahashi Okada tag they've got too. So yeah, touch disappointing, but still fun. I can't complain too much. That Real Quest card is, has got me checking last minute trains again after saying I wouldn't go. <laughs> uh, and with you, Martin, I think Zack Sabre and Tanahashi's going to be great. Okada Suzuki's going to be great, you know, but th- they are matches we've seen before. Ishikenta really intrigues me just as, as something really fresh. If anything, based on the big Kenta heel turn as well, that's something that, that could be talking me into the building here. But oh no, yeah, I think we've been given we've been given a an A uh, New Japan card and we yeah, we won't have to or at least I won't have to moan about the uh the Altrincham card uh, from last year ever again because uh, they've done us right this time, New Japan I'd say. Is there, what's the main match that sticks out to you, James, from this Aerial Quest show? Um, I would say Ishii Kenta purely for the freshness of it. Um, like, like the, I think they've been very clever in in how they booked this card because they, you know they have two they have two of their own guys who are well established in the UK now in Minoru Suzuki and Ishii. You know, and they've put them both in in prominent singles matches. Like both of those guys are massively over with UK fans based on their appearances in Rev Pro over the last few years. Um, but like you know. Anybody who's grumbling about that card, like you're getting Tomohiro Ishii against Kenta and you're also getting Kenta's first ever match as a heel. Like that's not even happening in Japan. That's a huge deal for that match to be happening in the UK, you know, and like, yeah, the the, the lack of an Osprey singles match is a minor quibble. But like this is a better card. You look back at the cards they've put on in America over the last few years. Apart from maybe the, the G1 show that we had in Dallas this year, it's better than any US card they've ever put on, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and like, I, just, 
I would say so, yeah. Like, and I mean, as I said, they've they've got Minoru Suzuki, who's hugely over with the UK odd against against Okada. That's always a great match. Like, I don't know if you guys saw the match they had at, at Suzuki's. Right. In the rain, that was like, like 30 minutes of, of two amazing professionals wrestling in a ring full of puddles, like, and never putting his <laughs> foot wrong. Like, that's, that match will be incredible. Like, and, and to see Minoru Suzuki on that stage, like, is, is going to be a phenomenal thing. Like, and like, I'm nearly half sorry I booked Tag League and I didn't go to this instead. It was never going to be a case of going to both. But like, yeah, like, I, I think that, as you said, Benno, they've done the British audience well. And even the tag match Osprey is in, like, yes, it mightn't be the match people want, but it has a lot of history to it. Like, there's a huge storyline going on there between El Fantasmo and, um, Osprey and kind of Rob Eagle switching from uh, Bullet Club over to Chaos as well. You know what I mean? So they're giving people an in-canon show um, that has consequences. Like that will probably end up being the final of the Junior Tag League again. So like they're you're getting canon New Japan matches that, that matter, uh, you know, to, to people back in Japan as well. And in complete another happenstance, I mean, um, I heard WWE were checking out Motor Point Arena in Cardiff way back in 2017, but um, on the same <laughs> night as that show, um, they, they've got um, the second NXT UK takeover uh, taking place in Cardiff. Uh, lined up for that so far, we've got Tony Storm against Kaylee Ray, um, NXT UK champion Walter against Tyler Bay, uh, Zach Gibson and James Gray. Um, tag champs against Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster, and then also against Gallus, Mark Coffey and Wolfgang, and then uh, Dave Mastiff versus Joe Coffey. And um, I mean, I must say, Tyler Bate against Walter from Progress Wembley last year was in my top three matches of uh, 2018. And even though it's NXT UK and Tyler Bate has had about two memorable moments this year, against my better judgment, I'm hoping they can pull it out of the bag <laughs> again here, Benno. I mean, the rest of the card isn't Tony Storm against Kaylee Ray should be fun, but the rest isn't really jumping out to me. Yeah, I mean, they've been doing a job of building Tyler and Walter from the, the TV I've seen. Uh, by choice as well. Martin didn't force me, everyone. I watched it uh, on my own accord. In <laughs> <laughs> um, watching that, yeah, I think he did like he did like that spot, didn't he, when he did the running and the flip-flops. That was one of the best things I've seen Tyler Bate do all year, which maybe <laughs> says everything there. taking the piss out of it on Twitter, all the wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. flip-flops. <laughs> kind of sad that it is one of the best things he's done all year, but still, it was great. Um, yeah, I mean, every confidence still kill it again, but it is, it is a repeat of the big progress show from this time last year, so it's not particularly fresh. Uh, yeah, and I'm, again, I'm not hugely excited about the show, but I do think the wrestlers will deliver. I think Walter and Tyler Bates will deliver. Um, Travis Banks and Noam Dar could be a, you know, a sleeper hit on the night. I'm a bigger fan of Travis Banks than I am Noam Dar, but I could see that working. But yeah, then Dave Mastiff, Joe Coffey in a last man standing match, you know, wouldn't watch that if it's happening in the back garden. <laughs> uh, Zach Gibson and James <laughs> Rake in a, yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a mixed tag with, with, with Gallus and Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. Again, I might Gallus is the... never happening, is it? I don't know. They're oh. persisting and persisting with this Gallus thing. Oh. It's just not happening for me. I don't, just... I, it's surely not fans as well. No, that's it. I think it's that, that pressure. I believe, I mean, I think something we can't, I got clarification on from someone was that, one of the reasons Jim Smallman's leaving progress and the rest aren't is he's heavily involved in, in booking, uh, WWE NXT UK. Must just be a big fan of Scottish lads with beards. Cause I, I don't, unless it, they're trying to appeal to that, you know, alleged massive ICW fan base that definitely still exists. I don't get it. Cause yeah, they're, they're all over this card, aren't they? They're in two of the, two of the big matches. Uh, Noam Dar as well featured for, uh, for our Scottish friends. Um, but yeah, 
odd one, really. There's not really. It's Walter Tyler Bates, as far as the card goes, with maybe Travis Banks and Noam Darby and something that captures my interest. Maybe, maybe I'm underselling Tony Storm and Kaylee Ray is, you know, a dependable, very good match. But uh, yeah, I think uh, as far as the day goes, this is very much uh, third as far as importance goes on my agenda. I don't know if Jamesy's feeling any different. Yeah, I, like if anything, I feel you guys have been too kind to us. Like it's it's, it's <laughs> completely it's completely a one match show to me and a match we saw twelve months ago. You know, and like um, like and you think about the available roster, like like Joe Coffey and Mastiff stale. Banks and Dark, completely stale. Grizzled Young Veterans, Andrews, Flash Morgan, Webster, Gallus, completely stale. Tony Storm and Kaylee Ray doesn't feel like a fresh match to me. Like, where's where's Jordan Devlin? The guy who who I thought for a while was the second guy from the top of this company. Not on the card. Yeah, exactly. Probably the second best wrestler in the company, you know. Um, where's Ilya Dragunov? Where is Imperium? Where's Eichner and Axel Dieter Jr.? You know, guys who at least you could put in there with some of the British guys and have fresher matches than are on this card. You know what I mean? But, like, does this look like NXT UK putting their best foot forward, putting their best talent forward on a day when there are inevitable comparisons going to be made? Like, you know what I mean? Like they chose to put their show on this day. And I mm. thought at the very least they put on as good a card as they could. But it feels like uh, it's it doesn't feel like the best card they could possibly put on. You know what I mean? And they're so far behind. And then you look at the card AEW are going to put on. You look at the card we just discussed for New Japan. It's light years ahead of this stuff. Like, like Dave Mastiff, who I have an awful lot of fondness for going back many years in 2019. Like, that's, that's, that's pretty poor stuff. And, uh, well, we are covering both these shows for post and, uh, <laughs> a special podcast the day after. I wonder which one. <laughs> we'll, we'll do it, Martin. Yeah. Uh, I won't be turning New Japan off for, uh, for NXT. I think NXT UK starts at 8, doesn't it? I think New Japan will still be going. Yeah. I'll be catching up Does with NXT later. 5.30 on fight or something. Was I that think, I think that's right. Yeah, I maybe, thought it yeah. was, Martin. Yeah, yeah. I think they're actually around the same time. So I know which one I'll be watching live anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Every Sunday morning hangover show, I think. Uh, take. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Andy Ogden from uh, Graps and Claps podcast is back this week with his uh, monthly look at some of the lesser talks about promotions in the third edition of Going Under Graps. To Going Under Graps on the British Wrestling Experience. Uh, this time we're going to go through a multitude of shows um, that have happened over the Northwest, Yorkshire, and uh, wherever else I've been on my travels for the uh, past month. So in this uh, third instalment of Going Under Graps, first let's get into what's been going down at Tidal Wrestling in Leeds. First of all, they had a double show on the 28th of July, uh, starting off with uh, Hell Aft No Fury, which was um, an all-women's show, and then following up later on with the uh, Battle of LS2. And so... A few highlights from the women's show included the uh, main event, uh, which was the women's title match with Little Miss Roxy, taking on Debbie Keitel, who you may, may know from the Woke Queens uh, from OTT. Um, we had Little Miss Roxy winning with a muter lock in about 10 minutes. Very good match, uh, possibly the second best match on the um, afternoon's card. Uh, the other highlight being um, possibly the... Uh, the best match of the afternoon, which was, well, I made a joke on my podcast, which was maybe the 63rd meeting between uh, Chikara and Candy Floss, who you might know from 
from Progress and NXT UK. Uh, they have a long-running feud slash friendly rivalry going on. Um, but it was this time Chikara getting the victory with the uh, Widow's Peak uh, to Candy Floss, even though Candy Floss was actually challenging for the TCW Women's Championship later in the evening. So on the Battle of LS2 show, in the women's title match, uh, which was fought under submission rules, uh, it would be Roxy, though, uh, getting the victory over Candy Floss with the Mutalock. Excellent match, um, but while celebrating one of Roxy's main rivals in the division, Rio came out to attack her from behind, much to the disgust of the crowd in attendance. Uh, Rio, uh, she's certainly been one of the shining lights on the underground scene, winning a number of titles, including on this evening, uh, with the help of her Crown of Thorns uh, teammates, um, she was able to capture the uh, TCW Openweight Championship by defeating none other than Roxy's other half, um, HC Drake, with a roll of the dice finisher to become the new champion. Um, the thing is with Rio, um, honestly, when she does come out of the um, entrance, just straight away, a wall of like booze, no cheering, nothing. She's ah. Uh, Got the got the roll down, Pat, I would say. Uh, in other news, uh, we had two further changes uh, with Will Cruz defrauding Joe Nelson for the TCW Championship with the uh, greetings from Sinsel Bank. That's probably because he's near Lincoln, or lives near Lincoln. Uh, in an s- excellent big man, little man contest, it shook the crowd whom only the month before had been celebrating Joe Nelson's title win in, the, in a fantastic four-way contest um, that you should go out and um, look at. Uh, in the three-way tag team title lead street fight, um, titles once again changed hands with Crash Bolt, uh, the team of Jack Bandicoot and Jake Silver, resting the titles away from the Crown of Thorns, plus the Lion Kings, who were also involved in what was a wild brawl, that even including fighting on the stairs to Sugar Dunkerton's flat, Literally, Dunkerton, uh, when he does stay over in the UK, lives in a flat next door to the actual venue, the Temple of Boom. Uh, so we go on to the 16th of August, which was the um, Back to the Bad Ideas show. And this was for debutants only, except for the obviously the champions. So on this show, we had a, a ra- well a lot of debuts on this show. First of all, let's get into the um, TCW Championship match with Will Cruz defending his uh, title against Nottingham Veterans Sticks. And what was a hard-hitting big lads contest that headlined the show? It was like a 15-minute 15 15-minute 15 masterclass of a Pier 6 brawl, and one you should check out when it do, does come out on VOD. Uh, Crash Bolt made their first defence of the TCW Tag Team Championships against the Henchmen, who were called Jim Diehard and Bent on Destruction, two of the best wrestling names you'll ever hear. In what looked like a bit of a mismatch on paper, it turned into quite an even contest in the end, with Crashball eking out a count-out victory, thanks to Diehard doing a toll-pay dive to the other three below, but Crashball somehow managed um, to wriggle free to beat the count. Uh, expect a rematch between these two teams in the future. Other highlights from the show included a trainer versus trainer match as Knucklehox Jim. Head trainer Daryl Allen took on WrestlePro head trainer Sam Bailey in a good technical match with Allen eventually getting the win in just over 10 minutes with a roll-up. 
two of the debuts that certainly stood out from a character standpoint here were, first of all, Magnificent Matthew Brooks, who uses an opera gimmick using unique songs each time for his entrance themes, which are always a sight to behold. Uh, we also had a wrestler by the name of Chuck Wood, who is a lumberjack uh, slash tree chopper, who has a fondness for um, wood and hugging it. Uh, so these are two, certainly two of the most interesting characters on the British underground scene. So with Tidal, you can actually check out their Battle of LS2 show, which is on um, YouTube for free, so go and give that a look. And then they are back at the Temple of Boom on the 29th of September with a double show, which also has uh, Mike Bailey on uh, making a first-time appearance for TCW. So, yeah, go and, go and check. Tidal's social media for all the information on their events and where you can see their um, product. Next up, we get into what went down at the first ever Schadenfreude and Friends show uh, on the 13th of August in Manchester at the Frog and Bucket Comedy Club. Now, the Schadenfreude and Friends shows have been spawned from when IPW ran Tuesday Night Graps in the Fair City. And also Lucha Forever, you might remember from a couple of years ago. Now, these um, shows tend to be, how do I say, they have one or two like fantastic obligatory wrestling matches, but it's mostly played for like, um, comedy and just like the more wacky like stipulations. So on, the, on, this, uh, on this show, we opened up with um, a fatal four-minute match of all things. So whoever could get a pinfall in the four minutes would win. So in this match, no one eventually won, which turned into another match with the uh, timekeeper. It was keeping time of the four minutes, even though the contest went about six. Uh, Dan Maloney ended up getting beat by Lucky Kid, who was being barred from the building by um, Schadenfreude. Uh, for, some, for some reason, he must have um, pissed him off in a former life. Uh, Lucky Kid got the win with a roll-up here, five-minute match, and then after the match, he got escorted from the premises by Cal Fletcher, of all people. We also had um, a one-count match where the winner would only win if they uh, pinned the shoulders to the mat of the opponent with a one-count. This is um, pro probably one of the best comedy match you, matches you would see all year. And also one of the better, best ref, referee performances of the year from uh, Mr. James Greenwood. Um, very much channeling the uh, spirit of Bryce Remsburg from the uh, Invisible Man match. Uh, this was uh, Danny Luna versus Chris Brooks. And it was uh, Danny Luna winning here with an actual submission. So not actually a one count. It was winning with the uh, count mutilation. We also, on this show, had the uh, obligatory good professional wrestling match with Cal Fletcher against Chris Ridgway, who's just returned from an um, excursion to Japan. But he's also going back to Japan um, not so long after this. Uh, we had Fletcher winning here with a spiral tombstone after an absolute banging match. One thing I've got to say is uh, Chris Ridgway's kicks are looking more evil than they used to. He's, well, took that, tra took that train in... Um, Full pelt in uh, Japan and brought it back to the UK with effect. Uh, in the main event, we had the uh, Banda match, which was a play off the uh, Netflix show Banda Snatch. So the fans in attendance uh, could vote on what the next move were. 
by the uh, Twitter account of um, Schadenfreude as a Twitter account. So there are all things like should um, who should receive a stink face, who should eat a, like a block of butter, who should even win the match. Um, so they had the who should win the match vote. And we had Damien Dunn uh, going against the vote here, which was actually the fans voting for Gene Money to win. Uh, Dunn rolled up Gene for the win, but because it was null and void and not following the actual rules of the vote, the match was restarted and Gene Money actually won the match uh, by knifing um, poor, poor Damien Dunn in the chest uh, three times to kill him off and end what was a yeah, one of the most innovative matches you will see. Hopefully they don't do it for another year. It's one of them one of them stipulations that needs to be done once every six months, once every twelve months. But expect to see it elsewhere. Now with um the Schadenfreude and Friends show number two, that's happening in September, that's sold out in a total of twelve minutes. So um it's gonna be one of the hottest tickets in town. And um, so next time, when especially show number three comes out, just be ready on that F5 button to uh, order your tickets. So next up, we're going to get into what went down at Future Shock and their show at the Fairfield Social Club in Presswich. So we, with this show, we had the uh, well, it was the title holders versus the title holders uh, tag team main event with the Grizzle Young Veterans of the who were the Future Shock tag team champions taking on the Adrenaline Champion Joey Hayes and the Heavyweight Champion Sonna Derson. Now this match was what we thought going to set up what should have been the main event of the Future Shock anniversary show with Sonna Derson and Joey Hayes possibly trying to see if they could. Um, get on together as tag team partners before their big clash in uh, Presswich. But unfortunately, after a miscommunication from Sonner and Joey, it will be the uh, Grizzle Young Veterans who will get the win here. Uh, very good main event. Uh, but sadly, as we would find out later, Sonner and Joey, due to um, like double bookings with other promotions in the Northwest, West, uh, were unable to face each other at the anniversary show. Um, but it's something that is being done later in the year, in September, in fact, uh, in Stockport. We also had a very hard-hitting match. It's sort of like a trainer versus um, student match with uh, Chris Ridgeway taking on his um, pet project, Luke Jacobs. Now, Luke Jacobs is like, he's 18-year-old, but he's absolutely built like a brick shithouse. He's like a power forward in rugby. Such a big lad for his age. And he's uh, following the roots of Chris Ridgway, like hard strikes, shots. But Ridgway, very much the aggressor here. Like Jacobs would like hit him with shots, but it weren't having any effect. But when Ridgway coming with a kick, boom, you could see like Luke Jacobs' soul just flying off into the air. Just something to see. And it was Ridgway winning here with uh, multiple um, boots to the chest to Luke Jacobs, but. I've got to say, Luke Jacobs looked very good in defeat here. Uh, we also had uh, Big Joe's Little Man Challenge, uh, which this was the sixth instalment. So he was facing at first Tyson T Bone, who beat him 
very very quickly. But after the match, he got uh, Big Joe got so angry that he challenged uh, the referee Chris Sharp, who you might have seen on WWE. Now this was like one of the most you know surpri- surprising things to happen on the afternoon. Now Chris Sharp obviously is a referee, but not very known as a wrestler. And so, something like the selling here and just the facials from Sharp as Big Joe was like on top from the start. But there was times where Sharp was trying to roll up Big Joe but only getting like ones and two counts. He did what, one thing though, um, Sharp, that had the crowd standing on their feet which was like a tall pay dive to the outside to Joe's um, opposite which was the uh, Nordic Warrior. Like taking him out and then... Of all of all things, Chris Sharp got a cradle pin on Big Joe to um, send Big Joe sulking off into the night. And as we would find out later, like on the anniversary show, a seventh instalment was to come. Well, I'll speak about that in a couple of minutes. Uh, also on this show, we had two uh, very good, very good women's matches with uh, Lizzie Styles against Lana Austin, two um, big rivals on the Northwest scene. And it will be Lizzie Styles getting the win here uh, with an under-up DDT. Very hard-hitting match, this one, as well. And it's very surprising because Lana's like one of the top re- top women wrestlers in in future shots. So to see, see, her getting a beat, see her getting beat was a bit of a shock. And also on this show, we had the debut in Rio taking on Tonga. Now, Tonga's another one who's one of the main lights of the... Women's division in Future Shock, and it's also in, it was also in the four in the Triple Threat title match, which would take place on the anniversary show. Um, but Tonga got beat here as well uh, by Rio by, via the roll of the dice. So you got two fresh challengers there for the um, title in the future. So moving away from that, we get onto the anniversary show, which happened on the seventeenth of August. Now I've probably gone on record over the um over recent recently and said this is a contender for possible uh, UK show of the year. Uh we had first off um a tag team tables title match with uh, Chris Egan and Danny Hope who were the challengers taking on the Grizzly Young Veterans who were the current future shot tag team champions and they seem to be carrying all the belts at the moment with the progress tag titles and the NXT UK tag team titles. So very much like the Ultimo Dragon with the uh, with the Brasso. So here, this was um, oh a fun and wild brawl to start things off with the uh, Grizzle Young veterans getting the uh, win here by Zach Gibson putting Chris Egan through the table with a helter skelter off the top rope. Such a great match to watch. Um, great effort by Egan and Danny Hope in defeat. We also had. The Adrenaline Rush Battle Royal, which was the number one contender's Battle Royal, slash match, um, which includes like the last two competitors facing off in a one-on-one matchup. This was obviously for the number one contenders to the Adrenaline title. Um, quite a few up-and-comers in this one, including JJ Webb, Luke Jacobs, Tom Felwell. We had Jacob North, Chase Alexander, Sandy Beach, to name a few. We also had uh, two heavy hitters like T-Bone, and Henry Tigrod in the mix as well. Um, so the final two here were actually the first two in, which was JJ Webb and Luke Jacobs. We had um, Alexis Falcon, who's the Future Shot Women's Champion, coming out to distract the referee. 
to help her charge JJ Webb pick up the surprise victory um, after he hit Luke Jakers with the uh, loaded bum bag to get the victory and now the um, number one contender to the adrenaline title. Uh, I've got to say with JJ and Alexis, they, they proved a very good double act at the moment. JJ's very, very much the antagonist and uh, someone you don't want to like. So he's very working the character very well. Uh, also on this show, we had the return of um, 205 Live superstar and former Future Shock champion Jack Gallagher taking on Sam Bailey. Now, this is a contender for um, certainly UK match of the year. This was a like 20 minute like spectacle. The crowd fully behind Gallagher, but Bailey giving all it, all that he could. Um, like balls to the wall here, Gallagher. Uh, I mean, you've only seen it in these matches with Chad Gable on 205 Live recently to show what he can do when given the time. And this this match, especially with Bailey, was another example of, it, it, yeah, give them time and, yeah, they can show what they can do. And Sam Bailey, you know, give him his props. Excellent, excellent in this match. Uh, we had Jack win, winning with the um, Al Snow Snowplow. Uh, after the... First, like, four matches on this show. I said, Christ, what a show this were. Uh, we also had the uh, women's title triple threat match. It was supposed to be a four-way, but Lana Austin was unable to compete. We had Alexis Falcon here retaining the title with a twisted fe- tw- twist of fate to get the victory. Um, possibly uh, new challenges for Alexis in the future with Rio and Lizzie Styles. Uh, maybe Holly who um, was also in this in this match as well. But we shall see. In the seventh instalment of Big Joe's Little Man Challenge, uh, we had uh, the return of the monster crater of all people. Now, you could hear just like the reaction to Crater coming out, just like, oh, poor Joe. Now, this was, this was like something out of Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant, uh, with Big, Dro- Big Joe trying all he can to, um, like, Move Crater, try and lift him off his feet. Uh, Crater dominated from the start, but the uh, you'll, you'll see it on like social media if you go on Future Shot Wrestling social media. Uh, the pop when uh, Big Joe finally slammed Crater. My God, you've never seen anything like it. Uh, we also had, um, unfortunately for for Big Joe. Um, Crater managed to finish him off um, with a big like, choke slam power bomb to get the win. But I think uh, Big Joe created a load more U fans in this match. And yeah, we'll just have to see for the future what happens uh, with Big Joe and if he will ever pick up a victory in uh, Future Shot Wrestling. And the main event of the um, 15th anniversary show was Sonidus and the uh, Future Shock Heavyweight Champion taking on Ashton Smith who was replacing Joey Hayes. Now, very much a face-versus-face match here. Um, proper back and forth. Went about 20 minutes. I said Ashton Smith, who was looking looking the business, and he's put on some muscle mass. A lot of the NXT UK guys are looking in great shape. I want to look in great shape, just like them. Um, we had uh, Sonna getting the win here with a huge frog splash to, to retain the championship. 
So on the 15th of September at the Stockport Town Hall, it's going to be Sonna Derson versus Joey Hayes in a title versus title match. And also on that show is Pack versus, excuse me, CJ Banks in, in a singles contest. So make sure you go, in, go out and get your tickets for that one. Uh, and also check Future Shot Wrestling's on demand for when this show does come out. Uh, trust, trust me, what a show. Uh, you won't be disappointed. It's, it's only four quid. It's not much nowadays. Go and check it out. Um, so next up, we're going to get into a um, couple of goings on at PCW. Now, I, they was having also their 8th anniversary show. They ran a show in uh, Blackpool on the 16th of August at the Blackpool Tower Circus, where the main news was Tel Bannum was supposedly booted out of the buyout uh, by Sheikh El-Sham. But as we would find out, it was all a ruse for later on. As uh, on the Saturday evening show... We had um, a five-on-five elimination match with the buyout taking on the team um, team PCW with uh, Yestin Reese, Joey Hayes, um, what we thought, Philip Michael in a mask, and the hooligans. Now, the stipulation of this match was if the buyout won, they would um, get sole ownership of PCW, and if they um, lost, they would have to disband. So I know it come down to the final two, um, which included Joey A's and I think it was Big T. And it was Tel Bannum uh, came out, or what people thought, oh, what's Lancashire all doing here? And it unmasked to be Tel Bannum who screwed Team PCW and it ended up with the buyout winning the matchup and taking full ownership of PCW in the end. And well, who knows what's going to happen in the future? And they also ran an outside show on the flag market, which included wrestlers such as the Strong Arts, T Hawk, and Lindemann beating Dave Birch and AC Striker. There was also um, a, an appearance by uh, Grado, who I've not seen for quite a time now, teaming with uh, Session Moth Martina to face um, to face and to beat Vader Scott and uh, Bruce Wheeler. There was. Um, a singles match between Shah Samuels and Tel Bannon, which you might have seen online that they went fighting into uh, home bargains of all places, including Shah Samuels suplexing Bannon onto the onto the floor, and also like launching him onto the uh, onto the counter, and Tel Bannon coming up forty nine p. So, uh, and also in the evening show, we had Dave Birch um, successfully defending his PCW Cruiserweight Championship against Mike Bailey in what has been reported to be a, a fantastic matchup. So, if you do get to see it, um, maybe on the Fight Network, which um, in the UK, PCW show their shows on there. So, go and check them out. So, with that said... Um, that, that's it for this month. Uh, next month, uh, I'm going to bring you uh, reports back from Breed Wrestling Show at Hex, uh, which is happening at the end of August, and also the Big Cave Show, uh, which is taking place at the Devil's Arse in uh, Castleton, just outside Sheffield, and in the Peak District, which is um, sure to be a newsworthy show of all things. Uh, so, as ever, you can follow me at Part 3 on Twitter. That's O-G-G-Y-P-A-R-T-3. And 
Go and follow my uh, podcast, Graps and Claps Audio, where full reviews of these shows will be on there. So, until next time, it's back to the studio. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Andy there, and he'll, he'll be back in a few episodes' time, and, and we've just got a few other items before before we head out of here. Um, Ring of Honor, Benno and James's former favourite promotion of uh, announced a tour of the UK on October 25th, 26th, and 27th in uh, London, Newport, and Bolton. Um, and just in time for their UK tour, they've signed former ICW wrestler Joe Hendry, uh, Brit Wrestle Way Days, uh, a lot of people will know him on Twitter, has been tracking the ticket sales for these shows, and it isn't looking very great, is it, Benno? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on the shows and Joe Hendry uh, signing with Ring of Honor? Yeah, I mean, it's... I don't want to say it's the Matt Taven effect. We can't blame Matt Taven for everything, but he is their world champion, and they are drawing... It's it, it's this post-elite Ring of Honor um, that has got absolutely no buzz, and they're coming over at a time where... There's so many more important things happening in the UK. You know, the, okay, we've had a bit of a quiet summer, but we've got Royal Quest coming up. We've got, I suppose, NXT UK takeover coming up. We're just getting out of a couple of big Fight Club Pro shows. As far as getting attention on you, yeah, Ring of Honor is not going to be the one, really. Um, and again, you know, the world's eyes are on AEW because the guys you would have drawn for ROH in this market in the past are all over there. Um, so yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I, I reviewed the summer subby card for, for post uh, on the website and I actually really enjoyed the show. There were a lot of good, good matches on the show, but you couldn't get away from the stench of, of death that kind of surrounds current day Ring of Honor. I mean, if anything, sum them up. Matt Taven against one of my genuine favorite wrestlers of all time, Alex Shelley. There was a fan in the front row who fell asleep. And if that doesn't sum up Matt Taven's ROH World title run and Ring of Honor in general, I don't know what does. Because, yeah, you know, that, that show had a killer Briscoe Brothers against Glitter as a Destiny Ladder War. It had, you know, a really fun CMLL uh, Lucha Tag on the show. It had a really great match with uh, with Jay Lethal and uh, Jonathan Gresham against Haskins and Bandido on there that was absolutely killer as well. Uh, but it doesn't really matter because... Who could care about Ring of Honor in 2019 right now? This, this current product and Bully Ray booking direction, uh, it's just not particularly exciting. They've got no buzz, and it's just an odd time to come over to the UK. And then to I think the tickets are really expensive. And as Britt Rezoede said, it's it's definitely, as Ben said, no surprise that there doesn't even look like they're cracking 100 tickets for any of those shows at the moment because, yeah, Ring of Honor couldn't be, unfortunately, you know, for people who loved it back in the day, like me and Jamesy, more of an irrelevance. You know what, though? You mentioned Alex Shelley there. I was a huge, huge fan of Alex Shelley back in the day, and especially um, all the tag team stuff he did. So if you, we, if this does end up on, like, Woucher or something like that, I might be uh, tempted if it's like a £5 <laughs> ticket to see uh, an Alex Shelley singles match. You know, I, I don't know if he's been announced for their shows. I'm assuming, you know, that that would be a big draw for them over here. Uh, James, you have any thoughts on, on the fall of Ring of Honor? <laughs> Um, everything that Benno said, basically, I mean, they're just they're reaping the effects of all the mistakes they've made over the last few years. You know, like like they had the elite and the thing they needed to do when they had the elite was use the elite to build up their own talent so that when the elite left, they had another generation of guys coming through. But they never did that. They never pushed anyone properly. They stuck to the same old people 
like when they left, they just went back to Jay Lethal for a while. Um, another big mistake was they should have put that title on Marty Scurll at Madison Square Gardens. Like, I mean, the, the, even if they knew Marty was going to AEW at the end of his contract, there was a six month run there where at least you'd have a champion mm. who had a bit of buzz. They're coming to the UK. Like, you know what I mean? Like, at least they could promote a UK tour with a British champion. Surely they would have sold some more tickets than what they have. You know what I mean? And it's, it's like you were saying there, Benno, it, they're at the, they're at that. TNA impact level of things now that even when they are actually putting on good matches and as you said Benno that they've had some great matches lately like I saw Briscoe's against Roosh and Dragon Lee match there from their TV a few weeks ago and it was brilliant great match like the Briscoes are as good as ever you know um, but it, it's almost like it just doesn't matter they've slipped into that TNA thing now like that Madison Square Garden show ruined them I think because yes. they had the eyes of they had the eyes of the world on them and that, that, that show and they embarrassed themselves, you know, and I think that was that was the final straw for anybody that I know in terms of Ring of Honor. And it just doesn't matter what they do anymore. People have just turned off and that's it, you know. And I even looked at the prices of the tickets like it's 70 pounds to sit in the front row of those shows. Like who, who in their right mind? Who's going to pay that? And the cheapest ticket is 30 pounds, which I think is even that is, is a bit of a stretch, you know, um, like it's just. Everything about it is wrong. Like, you know, you, you were speculating about Alex Shelley. We don't even know who's on the shows because they haven't promoted them properly. Like, well, yeah, crazy I didn't though, know. Jamesy. You, no, I mean, we're all not even fans online on social media mm. and you get these promoted posts. You would assume you'd be seeing never-ending promoted posts about the fact that yes. it's uh, yeah. Marty Skills only or maybe second only UK match of the year. Exactly. That's the thing. Like he doesn't wrestle in the UK anymore. So straight away, that's a hook. Marty Skrull has a big fan base. You know, he has the AEW thing. He has the Bullet Club thing. They're a rabid fan base who, who will support these guys to the hilt and buy tickets. And we don't like we just I only realized these shows were happening when I saw Ben's post about the tickets being on sale. I had no idea. And like we're guys who do a podcast about British wrestling. It's <laughs> it's our it's our business to know about these things. Like we you know, we go online to find out info. We do research. And I didn't know these these shows were even happening. And, and moving away from Ring of Honor now, and um, a couple of shows ago we discussed the formation of a UK branch of a Chinese wrestling promotion, OWE, and uh, the promotion also famously have links with uh, AEW. They announced a five-day tour of the UK towards the end of September, and wasn't quite sure to, what to make of these announcements when, when they first came out, but they've assembled quite the roster for these shows in London and Liverpool, um, AW team, private party, we've got Seema, Marius Solani, Kings of the North, More Than Hype, Arrows of Hungary, Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt, um, and tons, tons more, T-Cool, Monkey King, Strong Hearts, um, tons of uh, announcements for this, and a lot of names making the UK debuts here, and um, I mean, say what you will about this OWE tour, but it's a very interesting and, and eclectic lineup here, Jamesy. Absolutely. And, and like, I remember the first time we talked about it, I was deeply skeptical, as I am about a lot of new promotions and that kind of thing. And I thought the tour was was quite ambitious. But like looking at how they handle themselves on social media and looking at how they actually are promoting these shows, I'm an awful lot more reassured about them than I was. You know what I mean? Like I was having a good look at their Twitter feed today, just just trying to get a list, of, as you were doing, Martin, about who was on the shows and that kind of thing. And their social media is really good. You know, like they're constantly putting tweets out. They're constantly 
see announcing matches. Uh, there's videos on their on their Twitter where they're highlighting the Chinese guys and the the insanely athletic stuff that they can do and that kind of thing. Um, their website is brilliant. Like how many times I know when we go to do these shows and I'm trying to find out what matches are on an upcoming card and it's it's so difficult because you're trawling through some promotions Twitter. You know, trying to check, you know, you're trying to write down a list of matches that are on. You go on the OWE website and for each night they have a list of the matches that are happening. Simple things like that that tell me that they kind of are on the ball in terms of how they're running this thing. Um, a really eclectic mix, lots of people appearing for the first time. And like, think of the environment we're working in at the moment where AEW are signing everyone, NXT are signing everyone, and they've still managed to put together a really interesting roster of people. Mm. Um, a ticket is 20 or 20 pounds. Which is, which is reasonable, you know, and I think they even do deals for people who want to go to say both London Dome shows where you get a cheaper ticket for going to two nights. Um, so to me, it feels fresh. It feels interesting. Um, and I'm an awful lot more positive about it than I was. And like, if I was in the vicinity of these shows, I kind of feel like I'd give them a chance, you know. Well, Benno, yeah, you're, you're very much in the vicinity. <laughs> you give them a chance. Tell you what, lads, I'm going to go to Chinatown, have a slap-up meal, and then I'll be heading to the Black E to watch uh, some OWE at the, uh, right by the famous Chinese Arches in Liverpool, which is which is a genuinely a great spot to, to run a, a first, well, a first tour uh, from this promotion. Uh, yeah, to be honest, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised, you know, by, you know, the, the inclusion of you know, the Strong Arts lads and the inclusion generally of... You know, the AW lower card talent, you like Sir Luchasaurus and, and Marco Stunt and, and your private parties of the world do, you know, could do with some seasoning. So it's not a bad thing, is it, that OWE is sending them out to, to places like this just to do the odd spot show? Uh, I think it'll do everyone some good. Uh, and overall, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm into it. I think it's a really, Again, eclectic mix of guys from your T-Hawks to your Shaolin Monk, uh, who I'm looking forward to seeing. And, you know, there's just lots of, lots of Irish talents out there, you know, that that I'm sure uh, James will be happy with. Some Liverpool based wrestlers on the show as well, but OJMO's on there. They've done a really good job of making it look not like any other promotion. I was a little bit worried it'd look maybe a bit like, uh, TNT that's presented in Liverpool with the TNT booker. I have to be having a heavy involvement in this, but. All in all, yeah, they've offered something fresh, and yeah, I'll be looking forward to my Chinese meal, but I think I'll be looking forward to the to the show as well. Uh, should be great. <laughs> and uh, just some final uh, news for you out of here. OTT heading to Cork for the first time this weekend, and um, I mean, not don't want to go through the full car, but they've certainly uh, certainly going all out to uh, bringing the fans in Cork. Uh, we've got Jody Flash, John Devlin, Mike Bailey taking on Pat Callum Black, who's a rising star in OTT, taking on David Starr. Uh, Cara Noir has been really impressing us in Riptide, taking on uh, Man of the Moment, Scotty Davis. So uh, really going all out to bring the fans in here, Jamesy. Yeah, very, very strong card. Like, and, and I, I, I'm really sad I can't get down there to see it because, um, yeah, like, and I think you have to. I, I think, like, Cork is a difficult territory to break into. And um, it, it's... It, in a way, it's a kind of a parochial place. Like I, I, I worry about how well the tickets are going to sell. I had a look on on the the website there earlier. They have sold the first three rows, but there are lots of floor seats available. Like, and that wouldn't necessarily be the case with a big OTT show normally. So, I'm I, my biggest thing that I'd be checking from this show is actually how well they draw down there. Because if they do draw well, then that's a major second city they can start expanding in in a time when they can't kind of get this venue situation under control in Dublin, you know. Um, but it's hard to know, you know. Um, 
really Raven Creed is the key thing. Like, like Cork people are the type of people that really get behind their own. You know what I mean? So I don't know maybe if they've been promoting an awful lot locally down there. Like to my mind, the way you would play it is promote really, really hard locally, get her on local radio, get posters up, you know, explain who she is to the locals. And hopefully they would kind of come to support her and even make that the main event of the show, you know, and have her win the title back from Valkyrie maybe. Um, but yeah, really solid card uh, and looking forward to watching it on VOD for sure. I mean, uh, we're sort of run out of time, but uh, also Rip Tide of uh, running two bank holiday weekend shows in Brighton. Um, so, I mean, it's a massive couple of weeks coming up in uh, in the UK mm. and Ireland for shows. I mean, this massive OTT show, Rip Tide, and then the weekend after that, we've got Red Pro Takeover and um, and the New Japan Royal Quest show. So, pretty exciting uh, couple of weeks coming up, and um, we'll be covering uh, the majority of it right here. But... Um, before we get out of here, I mean, we've uh, talked a bit about it in the show already, but um, Jamesy, you've got a very, very special episode of BWA coming up this Friday. Absolutely, yeah, special bonus episode. I gave you two guys a well-deserved night off and um, had a good chat with my old friend Alan Forel about uh, an article that he did for the, the final episode, the final um edition of Fighting Spirit magazine, where he took on the gargantuan project of listing his his 50 best matches ever to take place in the UK. And um, yeah, I, I'm really proud of it, actually. Uh, Alan was a fantastic guest. Uh, we could have talked for three or four hours, no problem. It kind of turned into a little journey down the, through the history of British wrestling. Um, we had great chats and, and great reminiscences about some great shows we were at over the year, like the, the old ROH shows that we and you would have been at, Benno, and the, the Dragon Gate UK shows and um, the Noah show that they ran little bit of chat about world of sport for the fans of that style, little bit of WWF chat. So there's definitely something in it for everyone. And I just really hope people listen because like I had an absolute ball doing it. And as I said, just big thanks to Alan as well. Like he was, a, it's the first time I've ever been the guy doing the interviewing on a podcast and he made my life so easy. Like, I mean, I literally had to ask a question and just let Alan talk. And we all know how enthusiastic and knowledgeable Alan is. He was a dream of a guest and just huge thanks to him for coming on and giving us this time. Yeah, certainly, uh, uh, you've given me a sneak preview and it's certainly a fantastic show. Definitely worth checking out on Friday. And, uh, Benno, I mean, you've, um, you've not been resting on your laurels this week. We had a triple grapple spotlight, uh, last week. Yeah, uh, we had, uh, probably the best analysis we've ever had on the show with, uh, with Jamesy joining us to do a G1 wrap up show, um, for the second yeah, time. <laughs> much demanded by our fans but yeah we did like a a wrap on the a detox i would probably say james on the on the g1 in total talking our our best matches performers some of the worst stuff and lots of lots of analysis of jay white which is kind of one of our, our favorite uh, topics on spotlight so yeah people can check that out uh, martin will have to find an excuse to get you on sometime soon maybe we'll uh to do some kind of movie review or something to get you on as a guest uh but yeah people can check that out uh, just search grapple spotlight uh Anywhere where podcasts are sold, follow me on Twitter at Benson Richard E. And also, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, check out my written reviews on the post wrestling website of the uh, big Ring of Honor and GCW shows from uh, SummerSlam weekend that maybe got a little bit lost in the discussion, maybe understandably so with ROH, but check that GCW show out. Uh, as you'll see from my review, I did think it was the best show of the weekend. So yeah, you can read that there. And um, so, uh, just to reiterate then, Jamesy and Alan this Friday for the best uh, UK matches of all time. Then we'll be back uh, sometime along the weekend of the 31st of August talking Royal Quest and TakeOver UK. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you then.